Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices of practical guitars to the low. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitars Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitars or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitarspodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hello, David. This Hello, is the sound wife. of me cracking a beer. <laughs> My wife is creeping up behind me. Okay, I'm not very good at this. It's good, though. You're drinking a beer, so you kind of it worth it. So, everybody, uh, I literally just got the news that Rick Ocasek has passed away. Yeah, And terrible. those of you, you know, it might be just a pop singer, and it might be just everything else to some people, but Rick Ocasek, for me, as a kid growing up, um, you know, the car's was a huge band to learn Dude. chugging guitar parts and and kind of pseudo punk with a yeah with what they called a what was it a new wave at the time it was feel. new wave sound mixed with like basically driving punk music in, yeah, in with, a lot of ways um yeah, actually of- the only band that i can think that i it like had an impact on me that the same way the cars did uh very similar is like the police yeah, and even in the same way that, like, as they got older, they branched out into different sounds with things like Drive and stuff like that. But yeah, um, and of course we lost um, bass player early. Yeah, he yeah. died. He died of brain aneurysm a long time ago. It's just sad, you know. Uh, yep, I knew well, what basic probably wasn't doing well. He didn't. He didn't tour with them last time. They had Todd Rundgren well, you know, singing his parts. Our our so. We're reaching the point in our lives where we're going to start losing a lot of these heroes, you know, yeah. and that's, yeah, that's I'm in my mid fifties, you know, it's just another one yeah. for, for like, and, and I know it's weird because even my age group and I'm significantly younger than you, Jim, I mean, like, obviously you yeah, could be oh, my yeah, dad, you, you could be my I dad. literally could be, <laughs> um, and, and, and like, it's, it's a big deal for our age group too. There's a lot of people in, in my age group that really enjoy the music of the cars. So, um, I being one of them. So it's a big deal to me, and um, yeah, like what a loss. Anyway, um, yep. I would highly recommend if you're not familiar with the Cars, go get a bunch of their records and check them out at least. Yeah, I had this sitting on my desk. He's today. got one. It He's got one in his there. hand. Yeah, <laughs> it. I just happened to find it yesterday. It's it's just it's just sad news for me. Sorry. Yeah, dude. Um, big deal. Well, yeah. So. A lot of crazy stuff is going down right now in the gear world, and the yep. one thing I think Tim and I would, would give us a moment of levity here. Yeah, um, let's please. 
I hate it right now. So Gibson announced this. Well, they didn't really acknowledge what happened was somebody, somebody tweeted out to him. It was like, when the hell are you going to do something about the Gibson headstock? And then Gibson shot back. We're going to do something about it. <laughs> and so now people are going, what is going to happen with the Gibson headstock crisis? And I, it's funny because it was in regards to the old Epiphone headstocks. So they wanted to bring right. back like the 60s era Epiphone headstock, which they actually used on some of their models, right? Like the Sheraton or something like that, um, even now. And they're wanting to put that across the line, I think, is what Gibson is kind of indicating with this. Yeah, and that just doesn't seem right. On a, on a Les Paul, that will look worse. No, it's going to look worse because it's going to look longer. Now. So now you're going to you're going to be able to play – Jimmy Page and row your boat with it, which I mean, I'm sorry, well, but it's just honestly, I just want like I, I would be fine with just a straight paddle headstock like on, on an Epiphone. To be honest with you, I think it looks better than anything with the car carved wings. Why do they want to do that? They're, so first of all, those who don't who aren't familiar with the with the Sheraton and the and uh, what's the other one? The dot well Epiphone dot any, any of the yeah any of the big. Uh, semi hollows, I guess. So happen. it's it's elongated, right? So instead of going to an open book, which would bring the epiphone um headstock a little closer to the Gibson, they're going to actually make it longer, even more weird. Which means if you want to buy an epiphone, now's the time to do it. <laughs> yeah, because I think I think honestly, I think I'm I, buying an epiphone. I really do. I think I'm going to buy an epiphone. I don't know if I I could bring myself to do that. Really, no. <laughs> really for me, the, the the problem I have with the current Epiphone shape is that it doesn't have the sharp corners at the edges. Right, it, they're like kind of rounded off and go down. Right. What they're gonna do is instead they're gonna make this big inflated headstock. Right. Which it, will I also. Just, uh, it doesn't fix the problem. I always hated those. I can't stand the Epiphone hollow body style headstocks. The I just don't understand why they the can't. The I, I don't understand why they can't put the Gibson headstock on there with an Epiphone name on it. I just don't get it. I don't know. Like what? Just do what They've done it before. Did. They've done it before. That's the problem. And Guitar World even mentioned that, you know, Paul Reed Smith had done this already. You know, what the hell's wrong with you? So <laughs> and then so what's going to end up happening is they're going to put a bunch of other guitars out that are going to sell pretty well in the beginning because we're like, oh, it's different than they were before. But they're not going to sell as well as they would if they'd put the Gibson headstock logo no. on there. And I think long term, they're just going to be the same sales level as they were before. Yeah, they'll just go right back. And it's not, you know, this isn't about the Epiphone quality level of the guitars. I mean, for the most part, they're decent. Like I yeah. played uh, recently, I played like an Epiphone G400 that was like stellar. And I just, I, know, right? I kind of sat there and I was like, didn't have that stupid headstock, you know? Uh, my biggest problem, though, is they still seem to think that everybody wants to play like the the baseball bat for a neck. Um, and that I mean, like, I get it. Some people really like that. They think it's more comfortable. But I think you kind of go to go middle of the road. Well, I just played a custom that felt like it had a 60s style slim taper. So it just depends. On, like I say, it just depends on the model. But a lot of the low end stuff like that I picked up big fat necks like baseball bats and tree trunks and i sit there and i kind of go why would you put that on your budget model i mean honestly I like know. you want to get people in the door you want to have something that's accessible not something right. that's going to turn people off and it's and it and because it's your budget model it's going to be aimed at people who are beginners or right you know, right 
Now, maybe they don't know any better and they figured they could get away with it. I I don't know. Maybe there's some like, this is going to sound really dumb, but maybe there's some sort of like cost benefit to this. Like if they, if they have a big fat neck, like maybe it makes the chances of the neck warping like lower or something like that. I don't know. And and I wonder if that's partially what's driving it, but um, nevertheless, Gibson, uh, I, you know, I really want to see him do something smart, but it just seems like they keep, you know, doing some like sort of smart stuff and <laughs> getting called out for it or whatever. Um, but I actually, the, I think the response to this has been overwhelmingly positive, and I just don't think people any anybody read between the lines and what they were really saying. Yeah, exactly. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, there's the big Gibson thing, and then uh, we had Sam Miller on last week. That was great. Yeah. Uh, special thanks to Sam Miller. He he gave us a great episode. We had a, we had a nice conversation with him before and after the episode too. Yeah. And um, what's funny is he had mentioned to us. Um, I think it's okay to mention this. Is that yeah. He had talked to the 60 Cycle Hum guys, Ryan and Steve. Oh, well, yeah. And uh, he's actually friends with them. They live yeah, he's local close to each friends other. With them. I guess his wife grew up with them, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's just funny because they had been talking, hey, we got to get you on the show. We got to get you on the show. We we had, on he ended up getting on our show before he got on theirs. <laughs> and he lives like 15 minutes away. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we live, I live 3,000 miles. Not that, not that we knew about that when we booked Sam Miller, no. but it was like, it was just one of those funny things where he gets on the show and he's like, yeah, he's like, I was supposed to be on 60 Cycle Home a couple times and it's just never panned out. Um, yeah. They need it's to just, get him on their show because I, because he's, he's a ham. Like, he'd be really good for, uh, for oh, their, yeah, show, for their show too. Um, God, what a wealth of information, though. Um, oh, so, yeah. I mean, I never knew so much about banjos. Yeah, Honestly, dude. and I had played banjos in the past um, as yeah, a kid. I own one. <laughs> as an adult. Yeah, you own one. But uh, <clears throat> I never um, I never really thought about the physics of it or why there was a back on some and not on others. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a whole thing. That instrument is just now I want it's wild. <laughs> yeah, the very – well, I, I wish you could, like, do electric guitar stuff with a banjo because that would be my thing. Like if I could somehow parlay it into doing um, the electric guitar thing, but um, you need a line six fairy axe. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> no, I I need that. Like I need a hole in the head. Let me explain something to our listeners right now. Um, Jim may not know this yet, but he's going to. I'm going to try to. I'm going to try not to make him spit his beer out. Um, <laughs> so I took the money from my. Uh, AZ that I got back and it went right out the door and I paid debt with it. And I don't feel bad about it at all. And Almost. like for the first time in my life, I feel like I'd made a really, just really responsible decision and I adulted properly for a change. And, um, my wife and I kind of sat down after I did it and we had a long discussion about how we were going to kind of try to sort out our situation. And so I'm, pretty much going on a hiatus and I'll, I'll get more into that here in a minute. I'm going on a hiatus for like the next, for quite some time. It could be yeah. several years. Um, and it's, I, I've been given an allowance and it's a very small allowance. So this is going to feed directly into the whole idea of like, we were talking about doing the, um, the bargain basement part of the show, uh, budget friendly thing. And so yeah. I'm already looking at items that I can afford. Um, but that being said, uh, I have $40 and that includes like if I want to go out and eat McDonald's during the week while I'm driving around or something right, like that, right. all of that, that's my 40 bucks, right? See, I do that to myself already. I don't have anybody. A lot of people me, do that. I do that to myself. I say, okay, Jim, you got, matter of fact, this is a list right here. See, mm-hmm. 
And so there's bills and then the, the total. That's yeah, what I have that's after, what over. after my paycheck. Right. And then I put the re- I put most of that away. Uh-huh. So believe it or not, I spent a third of that already. Yeah, yeah. Just going to the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> excuse me. It's crazy. You know, I have a dog. Um no, that, that, he the, got your pets will get you, man. The grocery store. <laughs> Dude, your pets will get you. Like my, my set of str- two sets of strings. Is what my uh, cats cost me per week. Yeah. Um, and if you think about that, like we're you know twenty dollars strings. Like I'm my mm-hmm. my seven string sets are seventeen bucks. So, yeah. I mean that's yeah that's not cheap. Yeah. And all uh, my strings have got to come out of that forty bucks too. So. He's like, a big dog, so a fifty pound bag of dog food. Yeah, dude. Not a not a ten pound bag or an eight pound bag, a fifty pound bag of dog food. Um uh two but people did say to me, Oh, your dog must eat so nicely, because I had the dog food and then I had he has treats that he gets certain days. Yeah. So I give him these treats on these days and these treats. And it, it kind of keeps him in a pattern or rotation. Um either that or just keeps me knowing what day of the week it is. I don't not sure which one it is. Did we? Did we? <laughs> Because we had Sam on last week, we didn't talk about yeah. the open mic I went to, did we? And the whole no. shenanigans situation. We no, have to we talk about open, this. We got to talk about open mics because I have. We got to talk about failing. We got to talk about failing because that's what yeah. happened. Um, so I get this wild hair. I get this email in the morning from. Um, there's a company that called Micro Music Festivals. I don't know anything about it. I don't know if they're the pay to play type deal or whatever the situation is, but apparently. Um, they're like a franchise that does the what what they call micro music festivals, which are basically open mic nights and jam right. nights, right? Uh, they get a host, the host gets paid by them, I think, and then the bars contract out to them. And so they, they but supposedly it's supposed to be, you know, like these venues don't have to deal with all the management of it, and yep. and micro music festivals handles it. So that's normal. That's fine. Like I I think it's a great idea. Yep. Um, because it takes the Makes the club owner not have to worry about it as much. Um, so I, I there's one starting in my area. It, I went on the first night. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, so I walk in. I have my keysel with me, right? Because I'm yep. like, well, I'll probably just play the tracks. There's not going to be anybody here. It's the first night. I might be the only person that shows up. Right. Um, so I walk in, and the bill is almost full, but there's nobody there. Like, people signed up because you could sign up online. And um, That's BS. They should never allow that. By oh, the way. I don't think they will in the future. I think it's gonna that's gonna get uh, manipulated because I immediately he comes up to me, shakes my hand, talk for a minute, says, you know, hey, um, you want to play at nine ten? I got an opening, and I'm like, well, yeah, it's fine. I'm I'll play wherever you can fit me in. If somebody doesn't show up, I'll play, you know, whatever. Um, he's like, okay, that's cool. Nice guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, his name was uh, Jack Byron, and actually, I really enjoyed his music too. Um, he's he's uh, record got a bunch of recordings and stuff available online. I think. Um, but anyway, so everything's cool, except that I'm looking around, I'm going, where's the amplifier? There's no drum set. Oh, no, no. amplifier. <clears throat> and I'm going, this is a bar. Like, this is a real open mic, right? Like, this isn't one of those, like, you know, coffee house things, right? And I'm kind of looking around. None of this stuff's in sight. So I grab Jack and I'm like, you got an amp? He says, uh, no, he's like, I can plug you into the board. And I'm like. I, I, Jim, describe my facial expression. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he just looked like he looked like uh, like somebody took away his lollipops. <laughs> yeah, I was like, what? Um, and I I thought about it for a split second. I was like, well, I could cut treble off at the board and probably do a passable thing, right? 
And that guy's thing is like, no, I am not doing this without cabinet emulation. Like, this is not going to happen. Because exactly. I can tell you right now, it's going to sound like hot ass. Like, <laughs> um, so I sit down and he comes over and he talks to me for a minute. He says, you know, you can, you're welcome to play my acoustic if you want. And I'm going, dude, I haven't played an acoustic set in probably 10 years. And I'm, I, I'm like, and, and on top of that, I haven't played an acoustic guitar in probably well over a year at this point. Um, other than, you know, try them out in the store or whatever. Right. right. I don't think I'd played a complete acoustic song in probably 10 years. Right. Yep. Um, so I'm like kind of panicking and I'm going through, I'm literally, I, I open my Kiesel bag and I go through all of the stuff in it and I'm like, what can I do to make this work? Like got my tuner out, got my cables out, got my, uh, angry driver, which is, this is literally all I brought. Right. And I'm kind of looking at the table. I'm just going, um, oh, I'm, I'm screwed. Uh, and then I'm, then I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, it's like 845 Guitar Center. It's like right around the corner. I'm thinking like maybe I should just drive over there. And I'm like, oh, broke. I guess that ain't going to work. So I basically bit the bullet um, and well, I played rent, an acoustic set. An eight, well, at our Guitar Center. You could rent. Yeah, but dude, I, don't, I didn't have any cash. Ten bucks. So I'm like, oh. I, I know. They, dude, the thought crossed my mind. Um, so I'm like, all right, well, here we go. Um, and what ends up happening? Hey, Joe, where'd you go with oh, that? No, 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 no. It was worse than that. Oh. So, so, um, sunshine. Now let, let's talk about this. Shoulder. So, obviously, <laughs> I know what I'm doing, right? Like, I've played right, successful right. I I, open mic gigs before. Right, I've played right. successful real gigs before. I've actually been paid to play before, which right, is, right. you know, that's kind of cool. Every week. Uh, Jim gets paid a lot to play. Um, and so I'm just kind of like, sitting here thinking like this is going to go really badly and uh, I'm like I'll just make the most of it and so I start kind of like mulling over in my head while I'm watching the other performers which by the way all of them were great but we'll get into that in a minute mm -hmm. um, and I ended up going up like fourth people started to filter in there was a couple of people that were on the billing the first guy did never showed up the second guy was like I didn't know I was playing tonight he's like I signed up but he's like I thought I was signing up for next week and uh, <laughs> apparently he's in from out of town. He lives in Virginia and he's moving to Chicago and he didn't have a guitar or anything. So, but uh, dude, that guy killed. It was, um, it was unbelievable how good he was. Um, and you could tell he it was, was nice that the host offered his guitar though. Yes, it was. Um, and I have a feeling and I'm not going to say I'm not, I, if, if uh, Jack is listening, I don't want him to, I don't want him to think badly, but I have a feeling he brought his, his B instrument. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would too. Because uh, it was a Fender acoustic. I got to say, though, it was well set up, and uh, it actually sounded decent. All right. Before you get further, I want to talk about the Fender acoustic for just a minute. Yeah, sure. Because there's a woman that comes to open mics. She's really talented, right? Mm -hmm. She's kind of, you know, one of those free spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who yeah. doesn't know how to stay on the microphone. Right, right. Like you got to use a lot of compression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because you never know if she's eight feet back. It's like, well, 10 to 1, here it is. <laughs> yep. So anyway, she, uh, but she's got this acoustic that Fender only put out for a year back in 80, 89 or 88. Right, right. Right. So Fender did this acoustic that was, now you call it the Acoustasonic. They did it before, and I knew they did it before. Well, you, you mean the Strat Acoustic or the Telacoustic? Telacoustic. Yeah, no, those so were, this was done. Dude, those were all over the Japan. 90s. Those were not like... They were <clears throat> around for a long time. No, they were made in Japan. Try to find one. Yeah, no, I know, but they they, yeah, they sold a bunch them. of those. Dude, I was playing Strat. Oh, yeah. I, 
I used to play him when I go That's into Sam Ash when I was in high school. But I, that was I thought it was late. I thought it was high for a minute. I was like, didn't they make one of those? Yeah. Anyway, she no. brings one in. It's You're in right. great shape, right? She's got the original case and everything. And she's like, oh yeah, I've had it since it was brand new. I'm the original owner. And I, was, I just thought that was pretty cool. And it sounded to me, because there's a guy trying to sell a, an Acoustasonic, so he brings it to the open yeah. mics. To me, hers sounds better. Well, that's because hers is a real acoustic guitar, and his, <laughs> yeah. is, his is sort of an acoustic guitar. Like it couldn't, it couldn't figure out what they were doing there. Um, yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So I, I he, I watch the other performers. One guy slays. The guy after him is a great singer. Um, all of these people are singer songwriters, right? right. I'm like, oh great. Most of these people are going to be that. So I'm a songwriter, but I'm not a singer. You know what I mean? Like, right. and, and yeah. I. I, I don't even I mean I, I literally do not write lyrics to a lot of my music and I right. I probably should start but um anyway I get up there and um I start I'm like what am I gonna do here I I, I sat around and molded over for like ten minutes I'm like oh well I could do something crazy I could try to play a like cult of personality or something right and yep. on an acoustic guitar which nobody's seen before right um right. And dude, I'm like, I'm so flabbergasted with the fact that I'm playing acoustic guitar. I get like two bars in and I'm like, no, this isn't going to work. <laughs> so, so then I'm, I stop and I'm like, all right, everything's in tune. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to professional the shit out of this. Right. So I'm like, right. everything must be in tune. Now it's time to play the real song. So I ended up playing like whipping post and this is all instrumental, nice. of course, because yeah. here's the reason why it's instrumental. Like Jessica. I was thinking about, I was like, I could have played. I could have played that song and sang it. But the thing is, he turned the microphone down because I told him I was going to be doing I was probably going to be playing instrumental. So I'm like, oh, fuck. well, I'll just I'll just do I'll just wing it. And then I like made up two songs or three songs on the fly. <laughs> it was bad. It was really bad. It was so bad, bad that no I don't video. even think the people who were paying attention to me actually knew what was going on. <laughs> <laughs> and finally get to the end of it, I'm like, here, just take this ring. <laughs> like and and walked off and hung my head in shame. Um, now you know. Bring your Kemper. Yes. Well, that's the thing. Like, I just made the dumbass assumption that they would have something for plugging a guitar, an electric guitar in, right? Um now I don't I told them I was like, next week I'll come, I'll have my Kemper yeah. and I'll have my looper that I can run to the the input the the auxiliary right. input on it and then run that out to the to the board and i said it should be yep. fine be gravy so yep. i have every intention of going back um and i i actually recorded two new songs um two new backing tracks and right, right. gonna be playing those songs but it was um it was such a debacle and it was not any fault other than my own, like that, I want to. I want to stress that there. This wasn't because they were unprepared or anything like that. I was oh. unprepared. I should have tried to call ahead. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have last minute it because that was the other thing. That afternoon, I was. I'm not gonna go. It's the first night. Like it's there's gonna be nobody there. My wife comes up. She talks to me. She says, "You need to go." And I said, "Why?" She goes, "Because if you don't go, they may not have it anymore." And I'm like, eh, right. "That's a good point." So that's true. Um, I literally threw everything <laughs> in a bag and just threw it in the back of my car. And had I had the forethought, I probably would have at least had my katana head in the trunk because I could at least run the direct out off yep. of that. I don't, I honestly don't have much with cabinet emulation anymore. I mean, 
Um, I have, you know, the Kemper. That's pretty Kemper. much it. Well, and the Katana head. That's it. Yeah. Well, and the Katana head's not going to stick around forever. So it's only a matter of time before I decide that that thing has uh, got some money in it for me that I might need for something else. So, you know what's funny? So I have the Katana, and I have my Marshall. The only amp I have sitting in this room with me is that little rolling cube. Because I go to so many open mics and practice and stuff yeah, dude. that I just don't bother unpacking everything. And it's bad. It is yeah, bad. And, I, and I'm saying it's bad because <clears throat> then I'm not playing with my pedal board the way I should be. Then I get to practice, and it's like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to step on that. I'm supposed to step here. <laughs> dude. I got, I got, so I sat down with my set list day. I, I realized something about the lock function that Kemper that made me realize I had to redesign my set, right? So I sat down and I redid all of my presets for the Kemper. And it took me about two hours today because I had to do, I did one per song, which meant right. I basically dialed in like one amp sound, maybe two amp sounds. And then I had to dial in the effects. And actually, the effects took longer than, than everything else. Um, and to kind of plan things out. And it was... I, I came to the realization that this is probably the way should I, sh I should be handling it anyway. It's literally just one patch per song for the right. for this stuff. Stop trying to virtual rig the whole thing where it's like, oh, I can turn these stomp pedals on and off here and there. Just go right through it. And then just right to yep. left, you know, That's the right. whole thing. Uh, or left to right, rather. The whole right. thing, just like so up, down, left, right, you know, like we'll yep. do it the con uh, the Konami code and and go right through the whole the whole shenanigans, um, because it just makes more sense to do it that way, um, right. and also because um, it's it, there's just too much. I got too much going on now to let now that now that I'm doing these tracks and stuff and I'm getting ready to record a record and I'm and I'm like dead set on doing that. And I'm working through the project. I'm, I'm five songs in to what will probably be a 10 song um, EP or something. And right. I realized that I can just use the same tracks I use in the studio. Mm -hmm. But that leads me to some other things. So there's a bunch of other cables on my desk right now. I have uh, you can't see it. I got a MIDI cable here. I've got that that's running into my interface. I got a, another USB cable, um, a quarter inch and power. Because the way I'm actually using the Kemper now, so I record, I record a direct in from the from the Kemper. Um, so it's just my direct guitar signal through the the FET buffer on the front end of the Kemper into the uh, interface. Um, that's going over a quarter inch cable right. from the Kemper to the interface. Then I also have, um, and by the way, that cable is real short, so there's like no signal loss. But I also have uh, MIDI running into it. And what I'm using the MIDI for, for when I'm doing recording, is I'll actually have, like, so I'll just be playing the track. I try to do things in as few takes as possible. So I will automate my patch changes. I will automate my effects on and off. And any sort of that kind of shenanigans. Just so that right. I know that, like, here's the song. This is what I'm going to do. Um, and that happens because I build, like, two or three scratch tracks. So what I do is I say, okay, so this course I'm going to turn on Univibe. So... I'll have I'll record the Univibe separate as like a, just the chorus by itself, and they'll combine it all together, and then I play along with that. Yep. So that, and I automate all my effects that I change in each of the little sections, and that's how I go through the whole the whole process. But it's leading me down this other path. Um, I've been toying with the idea of doing a multimedia show, 
And that was something that I, yeah. I think we mentioned on the show before, like something in the back of my mind. I have no idea how I'm going to get together the video footage and the and the photographs to do this. But but it's something I'm thinking about doing. But you can do it. I most certainly can you do can it. You can do it. Yes. And and that would be so cool because you could time code the MIDI. Right. To, uh, I don't have to change effects that. anymore. Then I could just take a camper. I don't even need a remote. Right. <laughs> Put it on the floor. That's plug right. Plug MIDI in for my laptop. Run the and whole thing off my laptop. <clears throat> Um, yep. including a projector. So mm-hmm. um, this is something that may happen. It's something I'm toying with the idea of. I might do it just as a hobbyist thing, just to prove I can. Um, but well, more and more of the um, uh, the lighting systems are coming with MIDI controllers. Right. And there's more and more of those, like you were talking about, those projection systems that have MIDI control. So you just stick a USB or, or whatever. It's not. A, I don't even necessarily know that you need a... A projection can't system. You send, just can't take you a, send MIDI to your laptop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. you could just get a MIDI interface for your laptop, which any yep. audio interface actually would be optimal. Yeah, because I could, and I know there are people doing it this way, where you'll take out like your. I got this Presonus box underneath my desk, right? So in a couple of years, when I retire this thing, maybe this goes into this kind of service. I'll rack mount it, right, right. with a laptop. It'll have yep. uh, you know, it's got eight ins, eight outs, right. So I can feed eight separate channels out to the PA, and right. each of those channels can be used to do you know whatever I want basically to have fed to the PA and mixed whatever way I want. And then I have, I'll have a um, like a cheapy projector. It doesn't have to be anything crazy because you're playing in a darkened room anyway, and right. a screen, and then that yep. will play the video material. And it'll all just come off the laptop. It'll literally be a VGA cable from the laptop to the display. Right. And all of that will be handled by Cubase because Cubase can do video or Nuendo or whatever their application I end up using. But almost all of them can do video now. Even if at at the worst, I could do it in Premiere. And I I, I don't want to do that, but I could. But you could. And basically just hit – you hit play. Um, if you're doing in-ears, which that would be optimal way to do this, you're going to get a click, click, yep. click in your in-ear because you're yep. going to have it coded into the audio track, and then you start. And everything will be synchronized yep. with whatever you're doing. Because That would be the smart way to do it. And if you're using Ableton Live, you can even tap tempo. So if you want to slow That's things right. down and you actually want to have control over it, you yep. could control it. You can tap tempo. Which makes it, it even scarier because now it's like, where do we go from here? You, I mean – you, you can make these crazy synchronized performances that are part of, you know, like you're actually controlling it. Um, <laughs> I can tell you right now, I know solo artists who are doing this in Long Island. They're doing it in yeah, Florida. It's becoming it more here. popular. It, a lot of the beach guys, you know, they're just, you know, they're the singer-songwriter. It's it's different for you, but I do know a guy who does a lot, like a lot of, I don't know if he does Steve Vai or he does his own thing, but he goes out and that's what he does. He's He's been doing it for years. He's got that. And he goes, yep. And then he goes. I don't want to be the dude that plays the tracks all the time. However, I will say this much. Jim, you've heard some of the stuff I'm playing. Do you think your average drummer is going to be like, yeah, I can get down on that? Like, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, I, th- there's some stuff that's like, it's really challenging. Um, right. And I, I, I grew up with people that could play it. But now those people are all gone. Like, many of them have moved and they're doing music in other places. Um, right. So for me, the the end, the means to an end here is to go out with tracks, play as many open mics as I can, meet as many people as I can, find some people that can actually keep up, 
even if they yep. can't keep up, collaborate with those people to create something right. that's a little bit more marketable. Um, and now, <clears throat> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to the other side of that. So I went to open mic Tuesday last week, and what's interesting is the guy Mike Goldberg, who is uh, now a member of the group, he um, was there and he was hosting it. Uh -huh. Now he brought all the gear. He owned all this gear, and I'm not kidding you. When I tell you there was probably twenty five, thirty thousand. It looked like it. Yeah, I saw the video. Stage. I was like, if not more. Yeah, he's got he's got a thirty thousand dollar camera system he uses for doing his podcast. Mm -hmm. We were talking. So anyway, um, and he says, and you're pulling it off on a camera. Shut up. So anyway, I I was I was telling him because he wanted some of my video and stuff. So uh, we're 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 talking away. And anyway, he had. Um, his musicians on there, um, the drummer, she could hear the track. She could hear the the click and everything. And she'd bring them in, and he had live musicians doing everything. So he was on keys. He had another keyboard player. He had um, uh, two guitar players, um, actually three, but two at a time. Um, and he brought up uh, a harmonica player and a singer. Um, and uh, next, I'm looking forward to it because October 1st, he's bringing in a horn band thing. We're going to, he's doing it again, doing a full on horns. And so it's the exact, it's, it's what you did. His, his lights were tied. Right, right, right. Thing, and they were, you did the MIDI stuff going on. <clears throat> um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what the horn band is going to bring us because that's what the next thing is. That's really cool. But he's doing what you're doing. I mean, you're doing it solo, but. He's doing it to keep everybody. You know. Yeah. I'm not even, I don't have a click. Like I'm literally yeah. listening to the monitor mix. And yeah. to be honest with you, um, I understand why people want the click, especially in a big, yep. like in a big setting where you got 25 people on stage or something crazy like that. I could t totally see the benefit of having that. But for just yeah. one person, it, the click is not necessary. It really is because unless you're a drummer, I suppose, um, but if you're going right, to go out, you got to keep in time. Right. But if you're going to go out, you're just going to play like you got drums and bass behind you and you have reasonably good time. You shouldn't. There are times when you're going to freeform over that. Yeah. And I do that. I do that as well. Um, but I mean, my, my biggest fear with doing the tracks thing is that um, I'm going to lose my chops or improvisation. That scares the living bejesus out of me. Not if you make tracks that you can improv. No, and I'm doing that, but the thing is, you're not reacting to the other, because the players don't change. Like, every time I play, it's going to be sli slightly different if it's a real player, right? But yeah, I, that's the thing I'm worried about losing. It's like, now I'm just going through the motions. It's very mechanical, and it does feel different on stage. Um, but like yeah. that last performance I did where I actually played just tracks where I really was able to ham it up and do some different things, um, it's still fun and it's still different because, you know, again, I make it different. Like I have sections where I'm just making stuff up as I go, but it's, right. it's not the same as like going to, you know, going to a blues night and just playing like, and those, off the cuff. 12 and they're bar. two different. Yeah. They're two different, um, uh, art forms. You know, I, how many people out there know somebody who can play great to a track? And cannot play with people. How many people know somebody who can play the intro to 450 songs, can't play one all the way through? Yeah. I mean, 
the fact is that that there is there is a certain you know of that with you um you were talking about the track thing the click helps people who um you know like let's say you're you're on stage with shania twain in between songs it's great um but even then they like to count off so like they'll tell you you got like it'll say like one minute and then you'll have like one minute and then it'll say right before it says it says you know 15 seconds and then you'll hear it'll do a bump 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 and then you're you're in, you know, like that's it. Once that oh, yeah. once that downbeat starts, you better be all, you better be ready, you know. Yeah. Um, but there's songs like during the song, somebody will like let's say they're playing a um, a, a fiddle. Yeah. Part, but they've only got this little fiddle part. Yeah. Great big song. So they're up there with the dancers and they're doing their thing, and and then their part is in. Right. And then they're out. But they gotta they gotta know because they're also doing choreographed stuff. They're supposed yep. to be on markers yep. during certain points. Yep. I've even seen, uh, I forget whose show it was. I saw, I was watching some on YouTube and there was a little, there was a counter on the side of the stage and the counter was like a, like a clock to let them know, Hey, you know, you got to be back on, you know, in 45, yeah. you know, in, in 45 minutes to do this, you know, little part, you know, so you can go do your thing back backstage, go have a, you know, go have a bite to eat, then come back out for your part at the end. Um, yeah. and it was like that, that kind of got me. Cause I'm like, well, we're getting to the point where it's like, we don't really need to like, cause it used to be like bands would hire, they, yeah, they would hire a stage manager or they like would that. hire a director to make right. sure all those things were happening. They don't do that anymore because you you don't need it, especially not band. Like we're just gonna play music. It's all this other, it's all this other thing. So, um, I don't know. I, I just I, I got to work on this whole idea of like not giving into doing everything via tracks and like not continuing this forever. Um, this is not my intention. It never was. I have to write this material. I'm, I'm an artist. I have the I have this like compelling desire right now to write. And I don't really have this is kind of weird. I don't really have like this gravitas like I need to write this, but it's I need to write. And so I'm going to do it. And I'm going to make a bunch of tracks and they're demos. And then I'm going to put on an EP of demos. And then I'm going to use this EP of demos to go hire some people or meet some people. And then we're going to make these songs for real. And I'd like to get into an actual studio and do it for real. Um, so I got to find the right people and I got to get in front of the, the right people too. Um, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm too old. <laughs> I, I'm looking at my situation. I'm, going, I'm too old for stardom at this point. Like that's not where I'm headed. Um, I don't know where I'm headed. I don't know where this leads, and that's another well, scary it, aspect of this whole thing. Well, you think about it. So I'm, I mentioned somebody tonight already, Todd Rundgren. Right. So Todd Rundgren, on his albums, Todd Rundgren albums, he was the band. Yeah, he was everything. He played everything. Drums, keys, horns. Well, believe me, I would rather have real. I'd rather have actual musicians than me programming shit. That's that's right. what I'm getting at. I've been cursing a lot this episode. I apologize, everyone. Oh yeah, I didn't even hear a curse, but uh, I didn't pay attention. But I mean, you know, the truth of the matter is that that there is a, um, you know, there's a balance um, that we have to do of playing with other people and playing, you know, to tracks. I have been the exact opposite. I have not been doing enough chop stuff lately and just doing open mics and of course the church stuff. So now 
I'm sitting here going, my chops are dying because I'm just doing reactive music. And, you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with reactive music. Certainly nothing wrong. But when you're up on stage with somebody and they take a solo and they forget to give you one. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it happens a lot. It happens a lot at open mics, guys. <sighs> Especially if you're, uh, and I'm. Uh, I like to take it away from like people. I'm bragging, but. <laughs> It sounds like I'm bragging, but I'm I'm gonna do this. Um, so um, I'm up there, and I can I can sing really well. Um, and because of that, um, people always put me in a position where I'm the lead singer, I'm playing rhythm guitar, but I'm not playing solos because they don't get their time in this pocket. They feel like, hey, you just had yours. It's my turn, right? And so now it's kind of like. Okay, you're Angus, but I'm Brian Johnson. But the problem is, I want my minute as Jimmy Page too. You know, I want I want to be able to do that. And um, so I got I got to tell you what happened. Um, one of my uh, open open mics. Um, so somebody looked me right in the eye, right, and they were looking across from me. And there was another open mic person sitting next to me, uh-huh. and they said while they were looking at me, they go, "You are the reason we come out here." We love your voice. We love hearing you sing. And the person next to me said, oh, thank you very much. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> so later, when that person was not there, they came up to me and they go, you do know we were talking to you, right? Yeah, you're like, yes. <laughs> yeah, I got it. But sometimes the ego is so big. <laughs> there isn't room in the, There isn't room. For both of them. <laughs> I'm a I'm a friendly guy. When I go to an open mic, like I'll talk to people who are sitting around me and stuff. Like, and it's been weird lately because some of the because I've been doing this a lot more than I ever have. And I some people are friendly, other people don't want to talk. Yep. They don't want to talk to you. Like I don't know what you know, the been, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. I don't, Most of the open mics, I haven't been to an open mic. I, I can tell you this though. I've been, I go to this blues jam thing, and the host of that is not. Just, I've been to a several where they're like, they have. Um, he's like, yeah, well, um, we're doing blues, and we're being paid to do a blues jam, so I really can't let you do that song. Yeah, I I know, and it, you know, you know what it is. That's not really what that is. Do you know what that actually is? This asshole is holier than thou, <laughs> and he thinks he's yeah. really good at what he does. And more often yeah. than not, when I've seen people act like that at blues jams, which, by the way, I've been to a couple where people have been like that, they're not very good. Okay, right. um, he's okay. They're, they're they might be good to like the average listener, but somebody who actually knows that style of music, they're going to listen to him and they're going to go, "The hell is this?" Like you get to your, your blues lessons on the back of a Cracker Jack box, like what the hell happened here? Um, yeah, and the word "cracker" should be. Uh, yeah, totally that's that used. Yes, yes. <laughs> Cracker, poor chonky, whatever right racial yes. racial slur you want to use. I can use them. Definitely, I'm white. <laughs> right. He's definitely the whitest blues guy you've ever met. And he has that rhythm. <laughs> it's pretty bad. You know, you get my my wife is giving word. me crap. I had to I had to uh, mute the microphone. She's like she says she looks at me and she goes, David Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did it. I did. Yeah. Um. Yeah. My nickname in high school is Cracker. So hey, you know, I know, I know <laughs> that I have the whitest feel in the world. I, I it's like that scene in The Jerk when he gets up and he's like, "I found my rhythm," and that's me. No, you so know, I can't. 
I don't have a good rhythm. When it comes to blues, I know that I don't have I a was great giving rhythm. myself crap because on uh, I was getting ready. I was going to go to a blues jam tonight, actually. Um, and it would have been over by the time the show started, but I decided not to. I was out all day today doing some other things. And frankly, I just didn't feel like going to play a blues jam tonight. Um, the other thing is like, I hate going to these places and not having money to buy food. And this place is a steakhouse, right? So I'm like, mm. I really don't want to do no. that. Cause then I'm going to be like buying a baked potato or something, you know, you're that guy, <laughs> you're that guy drinking a water. Yeah, that is me. No that is me though, but I don't drink. So, and usually Cokes at bars are pretty bad. So I, Oh yeah. Um, terrible. It, it, you get your bill. It's eight dollars. Well, no, no, no. It just doesn't and taste like, good. Like it's and it, yeah, and it had no flavor. They always put ice in it, and fifty-fifty shot of whether or not it's got flavor yeah. or it's got um, the carbonation. Right, right. So um, anyway, I was just thinking about um, the fact that you know this blues jam I was going to go to tonight, and I was talking to my wife on on I guess it was Friday night we were doing laundry. And uh, she heard me playing and whatever. And I said, you know, I just, I don't really feel like I'm good at the blues. Like, I don't like going to those jams because I always feel like I'm putting up, putting myself on the spot. And I don't feel like I'm, I don't feel like that's my genre of choice. So I walk right. in there and even though I can play it, I feel like it, I'm going through the motions and I don't feel it as much. But then, yep. but then like there are times where I do, I do feel like I can play it and I, and I do a really good job and it's, and it's all emotional. But my, yep. I was complaining about it. Of course, my wife comes downstairs and says, uh, she says, yeah, she's like, yeah, can't play blues my ass. Like that's, that's literally what she said to me. And then she just rolled her eyes and walked out of the room. Like, shut up. <laughs> like, um, now, so I probably should have gone tonight, but I, but I've been in those situations, like what you were describing, Jim, where the guy's like, no, it's not 12 bar. We're not doing it kind of thing. And it's like, well, yeah, you know, um, First of all, those are the people that play boring blues. Yeah. They're the ones that when 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 folks like somebody like me walks in and goes, all sounds exactly the same to me, because it does, because they don't know how to put feel in it. Those guys, I'm talking about those guys that don't know how to put feel into it, they do make it sound all like it's... Yeah, it's all... Right, it's, it's just a straight shuffle all night long. And yeah, I don't... It's just a straight... Three, four, when I so I I had this crazy idea when I was a teenager. Um, right in my first band, I was like, "We're gonna we're gonna make uh, a modern, not modern blues, but like a, um, a futuristic blues record." So this whole idea that we would make, we would take these blues ideas, like do a song with only one chord, you know, and we would do them in a futuristic way. Um, and so we would have delay and all this crazy stuff going on. And actually, it was it was okay. The record wasn't bad. We we actually did end up making it. Um, I don't feel like we really set out, we, we accomplished what we accomplished to set out, but I kind of feel like that's where we need to be going with the blues right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be a hypocrite this episode. I am going to do it. I've been listening to more Joe Bonamassa la lately, and I have to say, they ain't a whole lot of 12 bar in Joe Bonamassa. Okay. There's a lot of other stuff, but they ain't a whole lot of 12 bar. And right. I think that speaks to like how are you going to reinvigorate this music right we've been doing 12 bar blues for the last you know 100 years it's time for us to find something new and to start building songs that have more than just those chords but have that at its root so use right. some dominant sevenths and use it in other progressions use a two five one every once in a while you know? <laughs> exactly well all the great blues players 
had that. They had yes. those moments. Where like Freddie King. Go listen to Freddie King to, is one of my favorites. And if you go listen, he very rarely did it. Well, part blues. Right. I mean, if, and if you listen to like Couldn't Stand the Weather from Steve Ray Vaughan. Yeah. You know, I mean, I understand what the underlying sequence is, but you. He was stretching it to its limit. Top of it. He was. Yeah, that was that was really good stuff. And I mean. And it doesn't have well, to be just that. Listen to Hey Joe. Just the amount of tritones to, uh, he was Little putting Wing. in his music. Well, that's the other guy. Oh, that's yeah. the guy I point at, though, all the time. It's like, Jimi Hendrix is the one that did it. He did it He did it 50 right. years ago, 60 years that's ago. Right. You know, he created this form of music that is based on the blues. But it is not the blues. And, and no. it, arguably so. I think a lot of blues musicians now lay claim to him. Like, that's the guy, you know. But then... They're still doing the stuff that he was doing when doing he was growing old, up. You know, like he, right. they, they didn't learn from him. They didn't they didn't branch out and explode. Now there are players that do. Oh. I mean, there's Philip Sacy and there's uh Greg Cock is another good example. But but a lot of people consider Greg Cock a, a jazz guitarist. And I don't. I he's definitely more on the bluesy side. It's got he's got um He's jazz got chops, chops in both ways. Because he's a big Kenny Burrell fan. That's definitely. a big part of that. But um But he's got He's the kind of guy. He's like um, Tommy Emmanuel. He he can play. Um, he can play whatever. So many wants. parts at once. Nobody's going to tell him not so to he, play what he does. What he plays. Like he's just like here. Watch this. Yeah. <laughs> when Joe Bonamassa says, "Hey, can you come up here and play with me?" You yeah. Know, if Bonamassa invites you on stage, <clears throat> you're probably doing something right. Okay. He had uh, what? So l- let's let's run down the list of people I've seen lately on stage with him. Uh, Greg Hawk, which he gets to play with him every time he's in town now. Um, Who's the other guy? The guy that the guy that kicked his addiction. Uh, the one that's oh Eric. Uh, I can't remember his last name. Eric Gale. 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 That guy can I play. Said sales. Now I yes, had Jim and I have had some conversations about. He's not my favorite player in the world. Now I'll explain why. He, he had a bad drug problem, and it's sad right. uh, that he was like very hit or miss for a while. And he's a he's a savant in a lot of ways. Like. He's he inc- an incredible player. He's incredibly gifted in a lot of ways, but it just seems yep. like um, his personality is where he's lacking. You know what I mean? Like he he doesn't know how to interact with people in the right way. Like I've seen him in interviews, and it's kind of like he comes off in this very strange strange way. And I think it's just you know people who are often good at one thing are deficient at something else. And I feel like that's what Eric Gale's struggling with. Uh now that said, he's an incredible. Other players who play with Bonamassa, Philip Sacy has uh, been on stage with right. him recently. Uh, who else? Um, I know. I know Mayer's been on stage with him before. Uh, but I mean, it's it's a who's who. People give Mayer crap, but that guy took blues, and he has done things with it again. That that is not standard twelve bar blues. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think anything that I thought. I don't think everything that Mayer does qualifies as blues, though. And that's and that's a big because he does a lot of there. major jam bands. It's really hard for me to look at Bonamassa and any of the music he does as anything more than like blues or blues rock. Like almost everything fits into that like very neat little right. package. Um, even his work with Black Country Communion is is this very like right. neat little package. Whereas yep. uh, somebody like John Mayer who did the Continuum record. I don't really think that counts as electric blues. Blues. Um, no, there was there was some. There's definitely some. You know, the and there's threads about, of that in everything. But that's true of any genre of music. I mean, 
Now, so I here's here's the thing that's going to blow everybody's mind, right? But see, I knew that. Let me let okay. me before we get off the blues. I knew that I grew up on pop music. Okay, and so I know that my sensibilities just aren't there. I mean, I know how to come in on the end, but there's a magical place between, between the, the yeah, end that, and, that, the, that swing. and the and there and it's that magical place that I can find, but I don't know how to do it enough to make it my own. I'm I'm literally just mimicking what somebody else did before me. I couldn't do it on my own. So like, let's say okay, let's say I was break, um uh let's say I was singing superstition, right? Yeah. By uh Steve Wonder. That's very superstitious. Very superstitious. <laughs> You should wash your face and hands. So anyway, writing's on the wall, man. Yeah, that's right. Writing's on the wall. When I when I play that song, or when I sing that song, when I play it, you can tell my playing is just robotic. In a, in a, to me, most people will come up to me because they don't know any better. Like, oh, man, it's such a great song. And I know that I just I botched the play. Yeah, I've never I, I've never run into that. Like I always I can swing the field. Feel like I could just like. Go for it, you know. And yep. and that's another part. This whole recording. Pro- that's another thing. That's another reason I can't. Uh, you know, I bought all this Jimi Hendrix books. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I sit there and because when, you're you know, trying to that, play it like sheet music. Stop playing it like and sheet I'm playing, music. I'm playing. Ring, ding, ding. <laughs> no, you gotta you gotta just play it and like play it hard and stop. I, the musical notation on the page should literally, be, you know, like you know, where it says like Allegro or whatever. It should just do like hard or like angry or like or like yeah. soft and gentle like or, machine yeah. gun i love yeah, machine dude. gun you know that's that should say mechanical song, like like a machine gun you know <laughs> like machine gun i don't know um so um i'm gonna blow everybody's minds here for a minute i know that people lump blues into its own genre and jazz into this other, this other genre i don't think there's any distinction I know people are going to like blow up and be like, no, they're totally different because there's all blues, these different freaking chords and stuff. But at its core, blues and jazz share the same roots. Okay. Right. So it's really hard to say that they're different forms of music. Although uh, I would say that blues is more like the aggressive, like punk music version of what jazz is, which is yeah. like taking all of those well, slave songs and then putting classical music with them. What I, what I picture jazz is what I always tell people when it comes to jazz is I say, yeah, jazz is blues. If it went to college. Yeah, actually I mean, it very much is. And, but <laughs> yeah, you talk, cause now it learned some, but new you words. talk about the same things though, right? Like, so there's swing feel right. and like those kinds of things make up those pieces of music. And so yep. I just don't see them being that different. They're, they're, they're different skill sets for sure. But, it's they're they're and and at worst kissing cousins i mean um and uh, that's the i struggle with jazz more than i do with blues and it's because i don't have the theory knowledge that i need to make competent jazz i can fake it people don't know i'm faking it but well there's a reason they call them the fake book yeah (laughs) they don't know i'm faking it until like a real jazz guy shows up and he's like really dude you play. That's you play. You played melodic there. You should have played Lydian. Like I'm like, shut up! <laughs> Don't make me feel. Yeah, bad. exactly. <laughs> you played harmonic mile when yeah. you should have been playing. Yeah, melodic right. You're mile. like, what? <laughs> um, whatever happened to just playing what you feel, right? Um, 
that's and so I feel every time I get asked to do like a like a uh, jazz standards, like, yeah, I, I yep. know what you're asking. Can you play autumn leaves? Yeah. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I probably actually can play autumn leaves. No, I think about yeah, it. you can. I know I can play uh, like I can play like take five and stuff like that. I'm a big Dave Brubeck fan, but yeah, um, Ricky, don't lose that number. Yeah, well, Steely Dan's another. That's a whole other thing. Um, Steely Dan and Jethro Tull moved. <laughs> the the standards of music into a whole new realm that that hadn't been I mean you take Chicago right what what you think about the later Chicago you know hard for me to say I'm sorry okay yeah I can, right right I'll right, give right. You that you take that early Chicago stuff twenty five or sixty four mm-hmm. anybody know what time it is that stuff and you listen to that early stuff and you hear Chicago and when they were called Chicago Transit yeah, Authority CTA. before they changed their <laughs> name yep they were incredible. And, um, of course, uh, guys like, um, uh, like I said, um, Jethro Tull built upon that. Um, and, and some people would call them, um, I guess, a melodic rock with a, with a prog sense. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you had the guys from Steely Dan who then took it into even another dimension. They took what Chicago did and they said, okay, we're going to make it even further. And, of course, Alan Parsons was out there doing his what thing. What Steely Dan did was they looked at people like Thelonious Monk and they looked at, you know, like John Coltrane and those kind of guys. And they're like, and I'll give you another, I'll give you another band that did the same thing that people never, but people never recognize for it. Um, They, they looked at these like hard jazz bop guys, right. From like the forties and fifties and sixties. And they were like, okay, we're going to make music like that, but we're going to make it sellable. And that's what they did. Um, And they were great at it. And that's why they sold so many damn damn records. I mean, um, I can't like uh, the Royal Scam, for example. That record is so good, and I I mean honestly, like I went for there was like a six month period in my life where that's all I listened to, and it's because it's so complicated. Like it's not it's not standard pop music. Like you're not gonna find a, a thirteen chord. You know, or major thirteen chord in most pop music, it's just not there. Right. <laughs> okay. Or three time ch- signature yeah. changes in one in uh, three yeah. bars. That's what. So, um, uh, Mike Goldberg, the guy, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I'm referring to him again. He, he was talking about how he played with Mahavishnu. Oh yeah. <laughs> and he was like, so he was like, I'm going to show you something that that I wrote here, and it was like, it, it, the timing literally the time signature went one time yep. signature two bars. Another time signature, and then another, t- and then back. Yeah. So, <laughs> like, and that's only because yeah. that Mahavishnu Orchestra wasn't working in Western music, right? The way that they were composing was using the Indian classical music system of designing these rhythms and melodies. So the way that works right. is like you have these little preset like rhythms, and there's like two hundred and something of them, and you memorize them all. And then when you guys when there's literally a language that goes with it. And when they get up on stage or like they're about to play, they go, they, they literally like click out the beats with their tongue. And then they're all like, okay, yeah. we know what we're doing. Let's go for it. And yep. sometimes these figures can be like 127 beats long. And you're just sitting there going, how in God's name do you remember that? How do you, that's what I was going to say. How did they click it up? When I listened to that song and I wish I would have recorded that one. Cause that was, a, that was the one they opened with. Um, wasn't expecting anything, and it was like, pow. Yeah, I love right Mahavishnu, I mean, too. Was... Like, Now You Know and stuff like that. Dude, that, that band. Uh, J- Jan Hammer and, like, the whole... Yep. Yeah, dude. Yep. Um, 
so that's a band that that I kind of grew up on. Like I listened to a lot of Mavish Orchestra, but I know, I know people look at that and they go, "That's fusion." That stuff is as jazz as it gets. Okay, yeah, and it's Indian music too. On top of that, it's Indian classical right. music played with with Western instruments. Um, right, and I just I feel like that's kind of what we were trying to achieve, except with jazz. Um, and I feel like we failed miserably at it compar- comparatively. I mean. Um, but it's right. something I want to keep alive. It's something that's in the back of my mind. So the idea would be like, I guess now, if I was going to do it again uh, today, I would probably take a group of people and we would play improvisational music that would be kind of like blues in nature, but it would be like an actual band playing it and mixing with these like electronic elements that you find in people's music like Peter Gabriel and stuff like that, because I think that really speaks to the future. Kind of like mixing dubstep and blues or, you know, well, something weird a, like that. Here's a name you never think of when you think of like jazz chords and and um, weird time signatures. Paul Simon. Yep. Because um, he he's basically an ethnomusicologist. I mean, he's yeah. super into uh, world music, and and so is yep. Peter Gabriel. Um, and yep. like, if you go to these other places like Turkey, that's how you get things yeah. like um, you know these these crazy seven eighths and nine eighths time signatures that these people are playing. That, playing these melodies and stuff in. See, I was, yeah, I was lucky enough that, you know, being in the Navy, going over to these places. Well, I'm I was sure you heard some, into these... some crazy stuff because, you know. Oh, yeah. And you know what's funny is these same people, instead of being like American jazz guys and American guys who are like, your music sucks, they would say, do you know, um, do you know, and they would, they would, they would say like, uh, I remember once I was asked to play, um, uh, the Eagles um, Hotel California. Yeah, if you're like, or I would be asked to play. You're like, you're, you're yeah, kidding yeah, me, right? After what no, you just did, you're asking me to do this because what we do is hard for them, right? <laughs> Even it's, though what they do is so opposite. easy, or like so easy for them, right. and it's like we look at it, we're like, oh hell no, <laughs> like because they grew up in that. You know, I mean, I, I got to go to the Middle East, and I got to go to, and I got to to see and, and experience and listen to so much incredible music um, all around the world. And, you know, up in Norway and Russia and... I mean, I don't think people um, understand that, that this world is orchestrated by music. I mean... Obviously, Africa many times. If you go to Africa and you go to a, yep. go into a post office in Africa, you will find that they're singing a song in the post office. Yeah. Everybody. And the reason for yeah. it is they use that rhythm to drive how they actually work. So the guy yeah. hands the guy a package and it goes on the beat. So they know they got to be ready to receive it. And it's just it's yeah. it, and it's not even something that they do consciously. It's it's something that like they've done their whole life, and so this is. But we are just going to do it. We as Americans, we did at one point. We don't anymore. We did. People used to want to sing to work, and they wanted to, do, but we've gone to a different kind of work, and it's it's almost like, and we're bubbling in more and more, um, in our work. We're becoming more and more cubicalized now. There's a lot of places where you go to a place and you don't hear. I think I've I've mentioned this before. You don't hear radio yeah, at work. I'm like, I'm in that place. My, and my um my boss has asked me a hundred times, why don't you go into the office more often? I'm like, why? It's de- I go in there and all I hear like, is it's this. It's a tomb. <sighs> <sighs> yeah. <sighs> and then I hear somebody go. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, dude. Dude, our <clears throat> off. That's if it. we made noises like that in our day. office, we get noise complaints. I'm not kidding. Yeah. We, we are, 
it has gotten so PC in the office place. Like, it's not a surprise why nobody listens to music in the office anymore. Because if I listen to this song, that's going to offend this person. And then all of a sudden, we're all in trouble. And we're all in HR's office because of harassment. And it, I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll, so on uh, Wednesdays, it's pretty dead in the office. Like, I'm the only guy on my team there. And uh, we have, like, this little area that's specifically for us. And um, so I'll put on my phone. And I intentionally keep it quiet. Because I know that any of the music I listen to is going to piss somebody off. Like, somebody's going to complain. And I try to listen to benign stuff in the office. It's like I'm cranking up a cannibal corpse or anything, although I have. Um, <laughs> I, in fact, uh, one day we were, when we were moving, I had cannibal corpse and uh, ghost going in the office. I'm like, you can't get any more offensive than either of those. Um, you know, for, for the people who are religious, you have ghost. And for the people who are, you know, human beings, you have cannibal corpse. <laughs> <laughs> But um, but it it ended up yeah it's it a, ended up going pretty well because like there wasn't a lot of people around. But I understand where you're coming from. Like we don't do that anymore. But I was gonna I was gonna give some other examples. So there's a a place in Sardinia where um they have lots and lots of sheep, these massive herds of sheep, and it's very foggy in the mornings. And they had a they had a problem. You know they've had a problem as long as the place has existed with people running sheep into each other and then losing sheep right. in the herds. That's a big, big issue. Um, so right, right. they sing and each family has their own note, right? And it's yeah. actually clashes with other notes because when they clash, they get louder. And so they know, oh, I'm getting closer to this person. I need to take my sheep the other direction. Yep. That's crazy. Yep. But that's something that yeah. happens, and uh, all lots of societies all around the world use music in different ways than we do. We do it purely for enjoyment. Other places, it's functional. It's a requirement because you'll break things if you don't. Well, there's also, even if you go to the entertainment side, there's also a, a different um, uh, use of music in that we... It wasn't that long ago when money was made on music, not as a result of recording it, as as a result of writing it and selling the writing, right. publishing rights, literally the publishing. And then it moved on to recordings, and it and it moved into you know, and it's morphed. Let's say, said MTV did a thing with music you that don't even know what it is more. now. At this point, I don't even yeah. understand the music business anymore. Well, I. So I, I was, this, this is what scared me today and, and about some music is, um, so I, I was flipping through the channels and it was, unfortunately, it was really late. I got back from one of the open mics. So I'm on, I think it was Jimmy Kimmel. No, uh, who's the other, who's the guy that came from, uh, Saturday Night Live, um, uh, Young kid. Anyway, uh, does BG's invitation stuff. Um, anyway, it was on his show, late show. Um, Fallon. He did Fallon. Thank you, Jimmy Fallon. I know I had Jimmy, and I was like, not Jimmy Kimmel. Anyway, Jimmy Fallon. He had this rapper up there. She's in front of a um, effectively a green screen. Right. Two people dancing behind her. <laughs> Got a microphone. And she's just she's just lip syncing to a track. And what's so bad about the lip, and then she's got a guy who comes on and does like a three-second 
like guest rap and literally walks off. And it, she doesn't even bother to keep the microphone up. Just brings it up for like one word at a time. She's like, what? All right. All right. Can we? So yep. you talk about lip syncing. But wait. But wait. It gets worse. So then I flip channels because I'm like, this sucks. Flip channels. Green Day. Yep. Like, oh, I'm nope. kind of a Green Day nope. fan. Nope. Okay, nope. I can I can live with Dookie and all that stuff. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm I'm gonna mute okay Jim. I don't want to listen to this. Yep, here it comes. Here it comes. Billy Joe has now believed his own press, and so now he's lead singing, doing an Elvis thing, and so he's standing in front, and uh, the he's got another guy now playing his his guitar, the uh, uh, broke down Gibson Junior. And he's got the rest of the band. The rest of the band is is uh, same guys. He's doing the Elvis type thing, and he's just he's singing like like it was real pop, not punk. Pop. There was nothing punk. The the punkish thing, the punkest punkest thing they did was he gave the finger to the camera, and they blurred it. That was the <sighs> punkest thing he did the whole time. It was. I'm not going to say the song was bad because I kind of was. But I was like, I wish it wasn't Green Day. All right. I was like, I, I wish it was somebody else because it just doesn't feel like Green Day. That, that was. I grew out of Green Day when I was like 13 years old. Um, yeah, I, I'm not saying no, I'm no, a big no, fan. I, I'm not going to. I just want to. I want to preface why I was like, like, <laughs> I hate this. Um, right. Green Day. So. When you when you Green Day's a gateway band for me, like that's how I got into like the Ramones, right. and that's how I got into you know like uh, Misfits and all these other bands that were of you know before that. Which are the right? bands that came with from me, right? <laughs> from my so it, the Dead you go Kennedys from there backwards, and you find the real stuff, you know, that actually like spawned all that, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, Black Flag and all those bands, whatever. But but yeah. but it was like oh, yeah. I'm. <sighs> I wore out several of their records, right? Like Green Day. I had, because I was young and I, and I, that's all I listened to for like a while. And I can remember like, this is, this is, I'm thinking this is real. This is, you know, like this, this means something. And then like, at some point I realized, no, it doesn't. Like, this doesn't mean anything. This is literally some guy whining. Like, I'm freaking tired of it already. And, once I kind of grew out of the idea that like, oh, well, I know all the hooks and like this music's great. Um, that's when I started to realize that the hooks didn't mean anything. And now uh, fast forward, right? So I'm in high school. Nimrod comes out like people are people are excited about that record. Um, I bought a copy on a word from other people. And the funny thing is the songs that I that I was like, well, this is going to be their big single. Ended up being their big singles, like like um, what's the Good Riddance or whatever the one that you know, it's like the acoustic ballad thing. But I'll but I'm gonna be completely honest. With you. Billy <laughs> Joe cannot sing for shit. Like he's awful. I would rather listen to Blink One Eighty Two. Like I actually think he's taking some singing lessons. I don't I care if he's taking singing lessons. That just may so that so basically what you're telling me is he is he lost all the piss and vinegar. That's <laughs> you know, like yep. one or the other, dude. You can't do both. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so I want to get. I'm glad because we've we've kind of segued into the next thing I want to talk about with singing singers. And um, so 
for me, and, and put yourself in my shoes. So I grew up with the Sex Pistols and the Ramones. Yeah, so you're seeing uh, like and, this uh, this um evolution. And so this, right? This evolved into like the Clash was the beginning it's of bad it. Bad that I see this de-evolution de then, huh? Yeah, I guess you could call it de-evolution. You're starting to pop the punk. Yeah, right. The Clash started it. <clears throat> I mean, they didn't mean so the all, the only other band in this group of people that I'm like, eh, I don't like the Clash either. The rock, rock, the Casbah thing, yeah, definitely not, not a fan. Moved them in that direction. Right? So then you had um, guys like uh, Beastie Boys, um, who were trying to be a punk. Yeah, I don't know what I mean. And then they, decided, I know people have said that, but like, I just see them as counter, no, counter were, they, culture, not necessarily punk per se. No, no, no. Before they became what we know as the oh, Beastie okay. Boys now, or even the Beastie Boys, fight for your right. They were a they were a failing punk band. They were, I, and I believe it. it. And then, yeah, and then they dropped the instruments and became three guys rapping in front of them um, and let somebody else play the instruments. So, um, and they kind of picked them back up for that yeah. whole sabotage thing. But that's, that's all beside the point. The point is, you take a guy like Billy Joe, Billy Joe and, and Green Day, um, even though they had pop sensibilities, I think the, the first two albums, they had pop sensibilities, they were trying so hard. They were, they were, what, that's why I think that it worked for someone of your age at that time. Is because they were probably that age when they wrote those freaking songs. At least got them in yeah, the Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I mean, and that's the problem with. Well, with, I don't even uh, think the songs hold up now. Like, if I listen to them now, I'm like, huh, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> well, because you aren't 13. Yeah, well, anymore. I think it was just the fact that, like, this was music that, and and this is the young rebellion thing. Like this is music that my parents wouldn't listen to. That was kind of like the, that was right. going through my head, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, when when I was a kid, nobody above the age of you know twenty five was listening to Iron Maiden. Yeah, and so that that now you go yeah, to an dude, Iron Maiden concert and there's seventy yeah, year olds. Uh, well, and it's right? that's <laughs> the widest, most diverse audience you've ever seen in your life. It's crazy. Um, so I wanted to get to the singer thing. So, and the only reason I mention it is because there's two. There were two things that happened this week with me that that I was like, okay, we got to talk about singers. Um, and that was Sam Miller put up a post and he said uh, something about who's who's the worst singer in you know rock or pop or whatever. And I said Anthony Kiedis. And um, so and I put Anthony Kiedis fight me. Oh, and uh, <laughs> and then I, I'm going to explain that. And then. Um, the other day, I saw uh, a thing. It was one of those memorials about um, uh, Chris Cornell, who, by the way, I'm not saying he was a bad no, singer. That's, I, I think I would fight singer. you on that one. <laughs> no, 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 I think he's a great singer. It's just that I wouldn't put him on the pedestal these guys were putting him on. They were they were comparing him to like Robert Plant. And I don't Mercury know, dude. And I don't know. For that, like that generation, he was the dude. Well, no, 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 and that's that's just it, though. And that's where I want to uh, I want to talk about like for the generation, and this goes for guitar, this goes for the the overall music, goes for the vocals, goes for whatever. You find a voice of the generation, right? And I mean, I have people who say, "Oh yeah, Eric Clapton's voice was great." I'm like, no, Eric Clapton's voice was okay. Was it, it was all right? Was it great? Was it good? It wasn't great. You take a guy like um, Steve Ray Vaughan, another one people say, oh, yeah, his voice was great. And like I said, they, 
there is, it, but it fit what but it was doing. I think doing. that's what people really mean when they say it was great. Yeah, that's what I mean. And so I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to downplay. Like Anthony Kiedis is great for what he does. I don't think anybody could have done what Anthony Kiedis did. Are you going to take Hot the next step and say that Chris Cornell was great at what he did, but not great as a singer? Because I, because I'll, no. I will gladly no, disagree I'm not with saying you. He wasn't, again, yeah, again, I think he was a great singer. Okay, all right. I'm that, just right. making sure. I, I got I, I'm drawing the you, line. You guys can rewind. I want to draw the listen. line in the sand. Go back. <laughs> and you'll say, oh, well, yeah, I'm Jim just saying he was a great look, singer. I, I know there are people out there that would say that. They're like, oh, Chris Cornell was really not that great. Listen. When you hear people like Steve Vai saying, I wish Chris Cornell had been in my band, like, and I've heard him say that, and other people have said things like that over the years, and not to mention the fact the guy got a Bond theme, and it was the first good Bond theme in like 30 years. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it doesn't take much more than that to convince me. Um, he really was the best male Bond vocalist since, like, you know, Tom Jones. I mean, when you really think about it. Um, so I just I know people don't like the gravelly voice thing, but that was that was Soundgarden sound and it was it was uh later on Audio Slave sound and those bands of those generations sold more records than damn near anybody else, save for like Nirvana, you know. Um and let's face it, I know people love his voice, but he's the one that I would be like, Yeah, really good in context, not good outside of context. Uh watch the acoustic unplugged show. And and just get his vocal centered and just listen to them. They're really bad. <laughs> Not to mention his attitude and behavior towards people on the outtakes. Uh, yeah, dude needs to be slapped. Well, he needs to be slapped. But he took care of that problem. So, or Courtney Love did, or somebody did. <laughs> Depends on who. Somebody yeah, got him the, for being a jerk. Conspiracy theorist you listen to. But I mean, you know, and I look back. It's it 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 hit me when Rick Ocasek passed away. So a lot of th people think that Rick Ocasek was like the voice of the cars. Yeah, I mean. And no, he wasn't I, really. It was Orr who was the voice of the cars that most probably. people think of when they probably. think of the cars. That's the guy who was singing Drive. Yeah. That's the guy who thinks, you know. Pro pro probably. I mean, um, yep. actually, I think the signature stuff for the cars for me wasn't just the voice, though. Like, it was the 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 use of like the really ridiculous like cheesy synthesizers and the and the telecaster stuff like the little like kind of sort of country licks that were over everything and oh yeah that was uh that was definitely you know um what is it Elliot yeah Easton really made that band for me and I in a retrospect like listening back the stuff that isn't as guitar heavy like in their later years I didn't like it. It's not. A, I'm not a fan. No. But the first couple albums are great. Um, I absolutely love them. Um, and I think we've mentioned that I was listening to the Cars on this show before. We were doing our, you know, what are we listening to right now, kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I feel really but bad they, about. You take a guy that the lead singer no, that, for this. That's band. a perfect. The that's Rolling a perfect Stones. example. Mick Jagger. Perfect example of somebody trying to put him out of context. Great for what he does. Yeah. But if you ever heard him cover Dancing in the Streets, just remember why he should just be singing Rolling Stones songs. <laughs> well, you know what? Rolling Stones is like the drunken bar band, right? Like, that's that's what they are. 
and you take the alcohol and the drugs out of Mick Jagger and and all of that stuff, and like they don't sound right anymore. And I honestly think like he fits that because he's got that swagger. Like he's like the guy that you see that's like just had the bottle of Jack and he's getting up there to sing the second set. You know, and you're like, what the hell? Like how's this guy even standing up? Um, that's what he sounds like, and it's perfect for that kind of music. But it's not. You're not going to ask this guy to sing opera. I mean, and, and right. you know, it goes both ways. There are some incredibly talented people that should not be singing some of the songs that they're singing either, like Tom Jones. Or like when, uh, um, the heck's her name? The, the Canadian female singer did. Uh, Alanis Morissette. Did the Titanic. No, no did Celine the Dion. Titanics. Celine Dion. She, when she thought sang, we were gonna, um, never going to uh, talk uh, about ACDC, this on this just look up Celine Dion. Oh God! Doing oh, dumb. I know what you're talking about. Oh no, don't don't ACDC. do it, Jim. Just please don't. <laughs> just listen to one bar of her singing it. She's it's like Cheryl dumb. Crow's you shook me all "Sweet night Child long. of Mine." Like yeah, Cheryl, what? She did uh, "Sweet Child of Mine." She also did "You Shook Me All Night Long." She didn't oh, learn anything from, from "You Shook Me no. All Night Long." Um, she didn't shake me all night long. It's terrible. <laughs> or about. Or Britney Spears singing um, uh, I um, I Love Rock. Or uh, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. Joan, yeah. Joan Jett is another one that <clears throat> her voice is gravelly and has this much yeah. range. But, you know, you could write all of her vocals on one staff. You don't yeah. even need to go outside the staff. But what she does fits the, fits the music. And, and I didn't. Like I said, I didn't want to try to. I guess it was kind of clickbaity for me to say that you know Chris Cornell. Well, because that way people can come. Oh man, no! And then I, no, I no. don't know. I, I mean, it's just a good. Singer. It's a good. No, it's a good exercise though because it's not. He's not everybody's cup of tea. But I can. Oh, I the think people from that I, age group like. I don't like Audio Slave because I don't like what's his face on guitar. Oh, good. You really Lord, not like Tom Morello. Crap. No, but the rest of it. I can dig. I just can't see Tom Morello. Oh wait, I can't play the guitar. Let me find a sound effect. Just say he just play some guitar. I mean, and and now he's some better than he was when he started uh, Rage Against he the Machine. Is, you gotta yeah, I mean, be. He's been playing for you've been like, playing 30, guitar like professionally years, for like, twenty five, thirty happen. years. You better happen. be better. <laughs> but geez, it, it, just the. But you take Chris Cornell. I can listen to it. For Chris, Cornell. yeah, that's the um, thing that you know. I think uh, um, when you listen to his stuff, and of course the solo. Well, then they cloned music. him, and now he's with Winery Dogs. Rich Cotson. Oh my gosh! Rich Have you heard Cotton. him actually cover some uh, some uh, Chris Cornell stuff? Yeah, he does, thing. Go, they, he does dude, a good job. They do. They're clones. Job. Like, there's no way. Like, they even had the same facial hair at one point. Like, it, I know, right? There's it, it, same DNA. It had to be. Yeah. Yeah, Cotson wants to be Chris. He'd like now. to be. He really would. Um is a great guitar player. But, he, but, but you the, know what? He always he's falling on the tails the of somebody else. He always is. That's it. He is. And the difference between Cotson and Cornell, and I'm not taking away from Cotson is obviously extremely talented, very good. Cornell had a magic. Yeah, he had the he had the X factor. Just he did. He would pick a note no one else would right. sing in a part that it was like, what am I going to sing here? And, and of course it just came from here. I mean, go I'm listen to black bad. hole sun just, and listen to the brilliance of oh those my lines. 
God. There's a reason people are playing Michael that stuff Sun on guitar. Just, I mean, it's yeah, and doing it yeah, wrong, but, mostly. Black Hole Sun is just an amazing. I think that's one of the best written songs ever. Yes, yes. Seriously. I mean, it's just I didn't appreciate it at the time. I was pushing back because I wanted a different kind of. But you know, it's only easier to appreciate a band when they're gone. You know, I mean, like when they dissolve yeah. and like they're kind of moved on and doing different things. Because then you can like go back and you'd be like, all right, so this is their entire body of work. Obviously, people really like this stuff. And then you can kind of like dissect it and go through it and be like, you know what? There is good stuff here. Or you can or you can be like yeah. me with Nirvana and like go back and go through it in retrospect and being like, dude, I just don't get it. Like, I don't understand what people saw in this. I still don't get it. But good there production. Are, there are th- I mean, things in it. Right. It's good production. Um, I like. Rolls yeah. Playing, the, the drumming is drumming. good. Like, I will also say that that. Um, and some of Novacelic some of the, some of the songwriting is okay. I just don't think that, yeah. at least for my money, like, I would never. I'm not the guy that's going to tell you that that Kurt Cobain knew how to play guitar. He had no idea what he was doing. He he really didn't. And there's all these stories post his demise where it's like, oh, you should have heard the amazing stuff he was playing in the studio. And I was like, no, no, he wasn't. Shut up. Like, if he was, he would have been doing it on record. Because that would have gotten his name out there. And I know people are like, oh, well, he didn't like stardom. He didn't like fame. Then why was he doing it? Like, the guy the guy was a cry for help, right? He he, he, yeah. he was um, – I, I, I'm going to use some of my own psychological background to talk about him because, I mean, like, having dealt with some of these people that have similar issues over the years and seeing, like, people go through addiction problems and everything, he clearly did not know how to deal with fame. But I don't think he hated it. I think he hated it because he didn't know what to do with it once he had it. But it was like, this is where I want to go. Like, I want to play music and I want to play music in front of me. Do you really think he wanted to play flat uh, frat houses his entire, like, existence? Right. Away. David Gilmore said the same thing. He said, you know, we, we, all, we all sit and wonder. We, we want this fame and we want this fortune. And then we get, the, we get the fame and we get the money and we say. Now what? I I don't. Yeah. Now what? And this is well. And that's the other thing is like I don't think people really realize what that is. What that actually means, like the whole more money, more problems. Yeah, the whole more money, more problems thing. Like people don't realize you're going to have to have accountants. You're going to have to have a staff. You're going to have to have all these different. Like you're basically business at that point. And I don't think somebody like Kurt Cobain. I don't think he dealt well with that. I think it was like. What do you mean I can't just like get up and brush my teeth like and do this and that? And of course, he was already on drugs like and that is a big part of his situation, too. Um, I think if he had gotten clean, I think he honestly would have made something of himself because I I do think he was in a place where like all of the pieces were going to click into place. Something was going to happen if he could if he could have sorted the situation out. He had all the pieces of the puzzle. He just didn't have the one piece yeah. that mattered, which was his sanity. And that was yeah. chained to heroin. That's too bad. It's sad. Um, yeah, it's too bad. It, you know, it is sad. And, you know, no matter what you do, the people around we, him could help him. Can we segue? Because I, I have something I want to talk about um, with, with regards to Kurt. Yeah. So everybody knows about, like, the, the DOD pedals, right, from the from the mid-90s. Um I didn't know all the shenanigans behind that, and I I guess um, 
Josh Scott did a video a while back where he was talking about the DOD pedals. It might have been recent. Um, and he was talking about, um, I guess those were all, all those DOD pedals with the strange look and that the weird labeled knobs all came from the mind of one person. And the DOD Grunge, which was the original, um, apparently they were selling like 8,000 units of that a month. Think about that. Now, most pedals are might be selling 200 units a month in a boutique company. Somebody like Boss might be selling two or 3,000 a month of a hit pedal. They were selling 8,000 grunge pedals a month. And then, and then wow. Kurt Cobain put it on his board, and he wasn't using it. So here's the little thing. Uh, his text said he put it on the board to, to bait people. But next to it, he had a Sans Amp, the original PSA-1, and that was what he was using. But he would kick the uh, he would he would you know throw all he would throw the grunges into the audience or whatever at the end of the show, like, and that's how they got popular. And after he did this Guitar World interview where they, he's like, yeah, he's like, I use this for all my sounds or whatever. They they blew up. They were selling twenty thousand a month or some crazy number like that. Wow. Think about that for a minute. This guy clearly understood who he was, right? Like he knew he was messing with people. And the only other person that I could think of that was like that was Jim Morrison. And if you think about it, this this brings us oh, full, yeah, full yeah. circle. Bands that don't get credit for um, the jazz oh, chops and like the 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 realization that they were going to mix rock and roll with like you know Miles Davis style jazz and stuff. The Doors, because they even the said it in interviews multiple times. Like well, yeah, we really like the uh, the the kind of blue record, and we decided that we were going to make like a rock record that was kind of jazz oriented and have that same energy, and they did, and they did it over and over and over. Um, yeah. So, and they never, no, they definitely did not. I mean, they took uh, there was one three chord ball bar blues song that the Doors did. I mean, it was like really one of their biggest hits too, and it's huge, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> Until you get to the breakdown, the whole thing is is uh, t- straight up twelve bars. I'm, I'm a big Jim Morrison fan. I love his poetry. Um, I can't listen yeah, to yeah. it in the car anymore though because my kids are old enough to know that the c word is. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> um, you, you've never listened then to the end of the. Oh end yeah, no, 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 no. When, no when, I know uh, all yeah. about all that the, stuff. The kids yeah, in well, the car. No, I mean oh, with the kids in the I car. That 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 is not sacred. Oh. That is not non sacred. Um. But the the like his poetry when he just starts randomly spouting expletives like yeah, in random yeah. places yeah. just because he thinks it's funny oh, like yeah. that's totally I mean that's the kind of avant garde stuff I'm into so I'm um I'm a big Jim Morrison fan and and so when I see uh people talk about his career posthumously and they kind of they kind of poke fun and they're like well you know they did like uh, Roadhouse Blues and you know they, I think people tend to forget that they really only had two hit records, maybe three, depending on how you look at it, maybe four. Right. Um, and they had like six or eight records. So the, yep. the, the ones that did really well were the first one, the self-titled, right. Which had the end on it and it had a um, uh, break on through and, and uh, light my fire. Right. So that record was huge. Every song on there was a hit. Um, and then, 
they had like three misfires. And then they had Morrison Hotel, which had Roadhouse Blues on it, so that blew up. And then they had L.A. Woman, which I – was that released posthumously? Because I know he was working on it, um, and then then like he went back to Europe, and I don't think it was done when he left, and he died in Europe when he went back. Maybe it was finished. Maybe he did finish it before he went. Yeah, for me it was uh, it was the Doors, obviously. Strange Days, and then yeah. Uh, so LA Woman. when those records came out originally, it was those three I mentioned were the ones that were hits. Those are the ones that did really well. When yeah. Jim passed, then a Morrison Hotel. I yeah, to mention when that Jim one. passed, then people started going back and listening to Soft Parade, Unknown Soldier, like yep. those other records. Yep, and then they started to sell really well. So those songs have hits on them. But they were posthumous hits, even though they'd already been released when he was live, which is really interesting because um, I feel like uh, – and I could be wrong on this, but I feel like a lot of the uh, the Kurt Cobain stuff that's popular was popular before he died. Like it wasn't like there was some other material that people went back and took a longer gander at. <clears throat> you know, they were, People were pouring right. over it while he right. was alive. No, it was already um, – right. It was already popular. Whereas – it wasn't like Hendrix where – well, Hendrix only had, what, four albums? Yeah, I think really? so. That's debatable. That's debatable because uh, the yeah, last was a live Yeah, record, it is because so. you had uh, – yeah. That's, just, that's debatable. I don't, I don't know. Uh, and then, there, of course, there's all that posthumous material, which has long been, long been discussed as whether some of that stuff is even him. Um, and yep. I don't know, man. Like I, I don't think anybody in, in – music history has the controversy surrounding them that that um that kurt does now i will say this there's some interesting things uh some comparisons between 60s and 70s and 90s music and if you go back you look at the 60s and 70s like everybody was either a beatles fan or they were a rolling stones fan right and then there was a third dark horse band and that was uh that was doors right because they were the american equivalent um, even though the Beatles were really competing in their early years, were competing with uh, uh, the Beach Boys. That was that was the American equivalent, right? Um, and I think the yep. Beach Boys saw that as a bigger rivalry than Beatles did because they really weren't making the same kinds of music. Um, so the reason why I bring this up is because, like, I've seen the comparisons between like the '90s bands and who they would represent if they were back in the '60s. So, like, a lot of people said Nirvana would be the Beatles, and I can kind of see that, whereas like their their music has a broad appeal, and it fits into some neat little boxes. Um, but it's obviously more. It's you can't compare the the mood and attitude of the music. It's definitely different, right? Um, whereas they've said that like the Smashing Pumpkins would be the Doors of that time, and the argument is who's more influential, the Beatles or the Doors, you know, and there's a lot yeah. of discussion about that. Personally, I would like to believe that the Doors are more influential. We got a lot of dark music. I would like to say that the Doors inspired, you know, heavy metal bands and you know all these like darker acts that have that have come and gone over the years. Even Paul Simon to, to an extent, people like that. Whereas I feel like the the Beatles touched everybody in the sense that like they brought the pop sensibility. They definitely inspired all the pop music that came uh, from that. But I just don't see any inspiration. 
Like I don't, I, maybe it's because I, I just like can't like the music. I just don't see the Nirvana inspiration like spilling over into today's music. No, no. I can see like that with a band like um, we were talking about earlier, like with Chris right. Cornell's music. There's definitely some Soundgarden-esque um, stuff out there. Like I definitely yeah, hear Soundgarden bands that are experimenting with odd time mixers. Actually, I would argue even bands like Tool are kind of, uh, yeah, you know, a contemporary of theirs because when Soundgarden did that, um, the Super Unknown record, like that's all t- odd time signature, like weird written songs, and it really fits yeah. in with like Perfect Circle and Tool. I mean, that's kind of what those yeah. records are too. Um, now, I'm not a huge Tool fan. I know that we have Tool fans in our in our uh, Facebook group. Um, I'm I've never been able to get into that band, and it's you know what it's yeah me either. I it's progressive, but like if I want progressive music, I'm going to King Crimson, and that goes like way beyond is, like where Tool's at. You know? Yeah. What's funny is that. Uh... I said to somebody, I said, yeah, I only know one Tool song. And I mentioned the song and I said, no, that's not Tool. That's funny. That's really, really so funny. So I know zero Tool songs. No. <laughs> Off the top I of my head, I can't the, name the a Tool song. Murder Dom's record like from uh, from uh, Perfect Circle, though, man, like when he put that band together, I was like, yeah, okay, I can get behind this. Uh, I think my, the one thing that the, that the Beatles did, and, and a lot of people are going to fight me on this one, but who cares? I think that the one thing that the Beatles did was they started out as a straight-up pop act, right? And still they used some weird chords and they used some weird things because McCartney and, and Lennon were um, doing their thing. And, of course, um, to put it in perspective, folks— They got way more interesting uh, when they were on drugs. <laughs> George, George was like 16 yeah. okay, when they started the band, 15, 16. So he was a little kid, you know, at that time. And so when you when you take the band and you move forward, they made they made decisions that other bands didn't that other bands didn't make until way later. Steely Dan and um, uh, yeah, Alan Parsons and stuff like that. Not to tour because what they did was the Beatles said, "No, nope, we're not going to tour anymore. We're just going to do studio stuff." And then they reinvented themselves. And then they reinvented themselves. And then they reinvented themselves one more time before they quit. I mean, if you look at those last albums, you've got, um, you no longer have that pop band that they used to be, you know, and, and it's definitely, um, you could, you could slice the albums up. You could say, that's a John Lennon song and that's a McCartney song. Cause this one's, this one's a little more out there cause that's John Lennon. And this one's a little more pop sensible. That's McCartney. And so, yeah, you could take a song like Hey Jude, but who else had the guts at that time to go nah, 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 nah for like five and a half minutes at the end of the song? And the whole idea of it was they said, you know what? We always wondered what, what, yeah, but what were other bands doing when the song fades out? Because that was the whole thing. That's what they would do when the song was fading out. They just keep playing. And so they decided not to fade it. Just keep going. Until somebody had to finally kill yeah. the song. And, uh, you know, other than um, uh, what's the, the big hit by uh, Don McLean, um, American Pie, we didn't see songs over three and a half minutes on the radio. The Beatles broke a lot of those, a lot of those things. But, um, and, and you can't, they may not be your bag or any, you know, some your friend's bags or whatever, but 
the fact is that what they were doing at the time, Rubber Soul, the White Album, even Let It Be, uh, Sgt. Peppers, those were things that nobody else was doing at that time to, you know, to further that music. You got to remember that's well, 1967. I, you know, and 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 here's my here's my where I take issue with Beatles. Like I I, I can appreciate their music. I listened to a lot of the Beatles over the years, um, but yeah. when people say things like "Oh, well, the Beatles were brilliant because they did X," I kind of laugh because I'm like, it wasn't just them though. Like people don't realize how much production was going on behind the scenes with you know their producers and stuff and the recording engineers being like, you know, hey, oh. we could do it this way, and they had some ideas. And they certainly were were like constructing more than the skeleton of the song, but some of the brilliant stuff, like, hey, we're gonna have the orchestra all play these random instruments or these random notes, and then we'll have them like crescendo. Like that didn't come from them. That came from no. That George came Martin from George. Was yes, that came from George Martin. I mean, I and nobody, even the Beatles, even even Paul McCartney will tell you that was the fifth Beatle. I mean, that guy was everything. The Beatles and I and I don't think that they would say, "Oh, we've yeah, done it without." I'm George. just saying, like, no, that, when people think of the Beatles, they don't think about George Martin. Like, they don't think about him sitting over in the no. corner, like smoking a cigar, being like, "Yeah, I did that," you know. Like, um, but he, yep. I'm yep. sure he's paid handsomely for his contributions over the years. Um, and yeah, I'm like, I, I just, I, I kind of laugh because we know late, later after the Beatles were done, we know that. Um, like John had trouble in the studio, he he could not b- do a damn good performance to save his life. They'd do like two hundred takes or something, and and he would just be like yep. blasted out of his mind with drugs and, and alcohol. Um, and they got to the yep. point where he would hate doing he'd hate backing and doing his backing vocals so bad that they would that they would uh, use automatic double tracking. They came up with this basically what automatic double tracking originally was was a broom. <laughs> that they would push the uh, the yep. tape as it was recording so they could get a double. So they would have two tape machines running and then the yep. other one would be like kind of out of phase or whatever. So it would sound like a double. Yep. Yeah. And then effect. they would, yep. and then they would mix it back together and it was a real subtle effect. It, it, it actually, um, there's a lot of plugins that do it now and they do it really well. Um, but it's, it's a funny yep. situation because when you think about it, like that was done because he was lazy, not lazy, but he was like, yeah. He was just angry and like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do another take. Like, I just don't want to do that. Well, Ozzy was like that for the longest time. They couldn't get him in the studio yeah, for yeah. a few minutes at a time. So he would come in and he'd do a couple of lines. Right. And then he'd do a couple yeah. of lines. And then he'd leave the studio. And it was like, okay, we got to somehow. Um, there was somebody else they had issues with like that too. I'm trying to think who it was. Um, but the whole double tracking solution and all that kind of thing is, you know, that's another studio trick that saved John Lennon. Um, And I think that you'll find if you were to dig around and you were to talk to the right people, you will find a lot of production stories that happened with the Beatles that probably don't get talked about. But I I did want to mention one thing. Oh, Um, Frank Zappa, right? There was a big thing with him at one point where John Lennon played on stage with him with Yoko Ono, right? And I forget what the deal is. There's some big controversy. But Zappa did not have good things to say about his attitude. And a lot of people have said that. So I kind of I kind of think that, you know, the, that, that stands up this whole, like, Nirvana is the Beatles thing because a lot of the same stuff yeah. goes around about Kurt Cobain as well. Like, 
he's kind of a jerk behind the scenes and like he didn't take people seriously and wasn't concerned about the business nope. stuff at all and you know he, he honestly like for who Kurt was I think I think his, his the addiction had gotten him so bad that he just didn't care about any of the money making and that's why I said like people are like oh well he hated he hated stardom I don't think he hated stardom I just don't think he cared about it I just don't think I literally don't think he cared about it it's like somebody told him he had to be at this yeah. place to perform this thing and he was going to do it but that was only because you know that was going to that was going to be what gave him enough money to buy the heroin and he needed yeah you know to buy more Got right right the, and the, the same thing happened to Lane Staley man um yeah of uh Allison Chains like his whole his whole yeah. situation was you know when it when they did that last record with him like his teeth were falling out he was so strung out that his like his health was just collapsing. They were watching him die in front of them. And and the producer and the band were both like the band was shocked, but they had like it hadn't sunk in yet that he was basically dying. And they were doing anything they could do to get him to do the takes. And and the producer was doing the same thing, like just give him the drugs and like give him whatever he wants and like we'll just try to get through this. And you gotta wonder if you gotta wonder at some point as everybody goes back it's so sad and i wish this and i wish that you gotta wonder if if somebody sh shouldn't have said you know what man no you can't do it yeah um, i remember rush um the band rush right so uh, they they told their drummer no you can't do it john rest john yeah Reth the original Bethson? drummer that's the original drummer for rush um he had uh diabetes if i remember correctly and he wouldn't stop drinking and um so they said, "Look, we don't we don't want to be the reason you die. We 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 love you. That's why we're telling you, no, you can't you know, do this anymore." And that's what bothers me go. when I hear these kinds of stories because, you know, the 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 sadistic, like cynical side of me hears these production stories and I go, "It's pretty clear to me that the music industry thrives on people like this because they're easy to control and manipulate." Um. But I also kind of feel like we talked about that I with one of our guests. I kind of feel like these. Yes, we did. Um, I kind of feel like in some of these situations, people are thinking, "Well, it's not going to get that bad. Like they're going to they're going to turn themselves around and it'll be fine." Like, and so they just don't intervene. Like in the case of the producer that was like trying to work with uh, with uh, Allison Chains, like I think he was kind of just sitting there going, "It, I, I can't clean this up myself." I have this deadline and I have to get this done and like, we'll do anything we can do to get it done. And then, you know, then I can work with him and try to get him into therapy or like we can talk to, you know, talk to the people that need to be involved. And, but it's, but it's like too little too late. Like it should have been dealt with before they even started a record. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And I, I hear stories of people like uh, Phil Anselmo and like what he's gone through that guy. He, he's done. Uh, he does these talks at colleges now where he goes around and he talks about his uh, daily schedule. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but there's a, there's an interesting interview you can find on YouTube where he sits down and he talks about like day in the life of a heroin addict for him. And I think it sheds some interesting light on some of these people we've been talking about and some of their situations, whether it'll be um, drugs or mental illness or just, you know, personality like conflicts and that kind of thing. Somebody like, um, uh, 
Phil Anselmo, you know, he says that basically like he'd get up at like two o'clock in the afternoon because he just slept, you know, pretty much all night long because of the heroin. He'd get up at two o'clock, he'd make a call to his dealer. It's the first thing he did. Then he would, then he would, he might eat something if there was something available, but he would like wait and he'd be looking out the window waiting for his dealer to show up. And then his dealer would show up and then he would buy and then he would, and then he would shoot up and he would go back to sleep. And then he would be asleep for an hour and then he would get up and then he would like make another call to his dealer to come back. And then he would shoot up again and then he would like sleep the rest of the afternoon. And then at like maybe like seven o'clock, he'd go, he'd, he'd leave his apartment and he'd go down to the liquor store to buy beer. And then he would, you know, get drunk and then he would come back and then he would shoot up again. And then that's the process would start up again. Like and then he would wake up two o'clock next day and it would all start over. And it, it was just like, Everything he did was about how do I get the next hit of heroin? And I think that when you put yourself in that mindset, these people, uh, any of these people that have dealt with addiction problems, any band that's had addiction problems like this, that's that's what ends up happening. It's like it revolves around the, the possession and use of narcotics. And whether or not the music is, a, is good or bad is completely irrelevant. And, and if you're if you're a producer in that situation, you're like, I got this contract like they're not I think some of it is they would have absolved themselves as like, well, it's not my responsibility. But at some point, somebody in that production process has to say, no, it is my responsibility because this is a human being. Right. Yeah. I mean, with Cornell, you got to wonder that. He. From what I could call from all the stories that have come out since. He just kind of took everything on to himself. I don't, I don't know for a fact because I wasn't there. I didn't get to see any of the signs, but nobody said there was any signs. I don't think signs. he was using that long. No, no, no. I don't think. No, I don't think he was using. He, he I did, think it he was. He did commit suicide, and it was. It, oh yeah, yeah. There was a lot of rumors and allegations that him and uh, Scott Weiland, like, had kind of a pact right. or that because they were close friends or that he could just never come to terms with the fact that Scott Weiland was gone. And yeah. it was like a big part, part of his life. It just ended and he just did not know how to cope with it. Um, I don't yeah. want to try to get into the mindset of someone that's, that's in that when you're level. somebody, when you're somebody on that level, there's nothing other. They're people isolated. Understand. They, yeah. You, you, we're talking about people who are addicted. Do you think Phil Anselmo, as as psychotic as he was over over whatever kind of narcotic he could get his hands on, do you really think he thought what he was doing was okay? No, he knew it was not okay, and he was yeah. probably freaking out because everybody, all of his handers, was like, "Just get it for him. Just take care of it." Like, yep. At some yep. point, that is the isolation because they know that this is wrong, and nobody's telling them. And it's like, well, obviously, yeah. like, I'm above everything, so I'm not connected. That's that disconnectedness that they get involved in. And so for Cornell to lose somebody who is a close confidant and stuff in, in uh, Wayland, like, then all of a sudden he's going through this moment where it's like, now I really am alone. Like, I don't have anybody else, really, um, which he probably right. did. But, I mean, it's like that's a big part of it is that realization that, you know, I'm I'm by myself now. and. Yeah, and and I'm sure that he felt that that he was alone, 
that he, he had lost the one person that could understand what he was trying to say, that could actually, I mean, we understand the words, but can we comprehend the feeling behind them? All right. And that's so since we're talking about since we got all this is about. stuff from uh, Green Day and, and really bad. That's sad like, shit. Yeah, it is sad. I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to get away from it because I'm getting I'm depressed. I'm telling but, you, it's just sad. This is a sad so, day. <laughs> um, to back off and like to to put it back in perspective. So we're talking about uh, bad singers or good singers or whatever singers that like do weird things and you kind of look at their situation and go, that's weird. So you're familiar with Megan Trainer, I'm sure. Um, the bubblegum pop God. princess yes. or whatever you want to call her—I don't know. I know, and yes. then we're going to talk about Taylor Swift too. We're going to get to Taylor it's Swift all about next the too. Base. So she's out plugging a new oh, album, God. right, Megan Trainer, and she was on the Today Show the other day. Now, first off, Today Show has like the worst sound ever. If you've ever watched any of their live performances in the morning, it it is ungodly yep. bad. Um, and yep. so you can tell immediately, like when when people are like not having a good day and they haven't had their coffee and like their horse or whatever from the concert the night before that they're on the today show. And, um, I can remember like yep. seeing David Bowie perform years ago and just be like, wow, this is pretty bad. Um, well, yeah, they wake you up. Right, right, right. And, and I get it. Um, but I, I think I saw Lionel Richie on there and he killed it for one song. And then one song was pretty awful because the production was bad. Um, but yeah. I saw Megan Trainer on there the other day. And I, I shit you not, it was the worst lip sync job I've ever seen in my life. It was so perfect. And she had it down like they were to the point where she was like ad-libbing and stuff. And she was lip syncing it. And I'm like, this is bad. Really, really bad. When somebody's dancing and they're singing all these perfect notes and it's like they have perfect pitch and it there's no like lack of breath control or anything like that. Something's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And the fact that she was like holding the microphone way out here and stuff in certain places. And it's like, there's no difference in volume and it was not realistic. And I don't think you could hear any crowd feedback coming in through her microphone. I think they actually have microphones in the audience that they, that they like mix in. But usually like when, when uh, Lyle Richie was on there, you could hear the audience through his mic a little bit. And you can kind of tell, like, right. okay, so this is real. Like, this is legit. In Megan Trader's case, it was yep. obviously badly uh, um, lip-synced. But it didn't, like, I'm surprised that it didn't, like, hit the press. But then again, I think people know these pop singers, they people all lip-sync. People know that they're, they're lip-syncing now. And, and it's like, it used to be, like like I said, it ruined Ashley yeah, Simpson's but career. People- the expectation now, is like, I would rather you know, see them lip sync than to see them, you know, it's so it's just awful. Don't reward it. Taylor Swift. So ta- Let's Taylor get to Swift Taylor thing. Swift. Uh, as you know, as you know, Come Jim, we got the new Tool album Swift. dropped, right? Because because oh how God, could you okay, not yeah, know? Go ahead. Because right. How could I put anyone, it on my page? I put the whole Taylor Swift point, Tool at this point, thing. How could yeah, anyone not know? That Taylor Swift and, and Tool were going head to head on iTunes. Okay. But but the funny yep. thing was that that so the Tool record comes out and like everybody knew about it. Like they were like, oh Tool, yes, great, fine, fantastic. Um apparently if you're under the age of like twenty-four, you have no idea who Tool is. And and, and it, that's kind of mind-boggling to me because like I knew who the people that were around before my generation were. 
why the hell is this generation so like not even they don't have any inkling of what went on before them when i got to high school and i started seeing people where because okay before you do that because remember what i talked about when you go to work you'd hear music on the radio that's true you're in school that's there true, were, but now it's so personalized radio, right? because sometimes we all have our own little headphone mix. That's right. When when dad puts music on in the in the car, yeah, see, my daughter's my putting on her headphones. I'm like, I turned around the other day and I was like, Marshall. bullshit, take them off. Yeah, because that's what happens now. A kid literally can grow up in that bubble, and yeah, the only thing they know is scary. What they are. I would encourage anyone with children stuff. to yeah, consider exposing your children to music that is outside of what they want to listen to. I would, I would highly encourage it right. because. I wouldn't have the richness and depth in like a, a, the the stuff I listen to and the stuff I'm interested in if I wasn't exposed to things. How many famous musicians do we know said, yeah, you know, they, they ask um, when they're asked in an interview, um, uh, what were your influences? And they were like, oh, my older brother, my older sister, my older cousin, my, my good friends, my father, my mother. That, right. That's where they got not this that generation. Stuff. But now I got it from iTunes. These things go on their head. I got it from those crappy yeah. iTunes commercials these, these, with the with the dancing multicolored people. Like what? And the difference between them and me <laughs> is I listen to that stuff. I listen to Post Malone and I've listened to Taylor Swift and I listen to, just because I don't like it right, doesn't right, mean right. I don't hear it. All right, so a couple couple things. Get it. The the Taylor Swift anyway, thing happens, ahead. right? So Taylor Swift's album drops, right? Everybody's like, oh, it's going to go to Taylor Swift's fans, are, you know, the little, little teenagers, whatever. It's going to go to number one. It's going to be the best album ever. Like, then they find out that Tool is coming out of the same day, and they're like, well, well I don't understand what's the problem. And then suddenly they realize, oh, crap, Taylor Swift's not going to debut at number one. And they, they lose their minds. They're all over Twitter and Facebook, and they're just, oh, my God, Tool sucks. Like, I don't know what, anything about their music, but they're terrible. Like, how could they have a number one record? Who Some band my dad listens to. Or, like, whatever. Insert ridiculous comments here. I read through that article you shared, Jim. It was hilarious. I literally cracked up. Because I'm like, how could you just be that, like, closed off? And I totally, I, I had already kind of devised that that's what was going on. Was that, like, we're all living in our own personal bubbles now. But, um, yeah. I just... I, it, part of me is like I, I it's ironic but i also feel kind of like vengeance it's like all right so here's real substance well, taking precedent over you know all right so every every child pop band sure ages out okay it took taylor a little she's longer, starting to she's getting there but but you got to remember now a 12 year old girl yeah she's you know, like which 20 is, which is her, five or 26 now her audience yeah, she's, she's aging out of her audience because she was them yeah. when she started. That's what she was the sixty-year-old kid that, that she like, lasted so long. Yeah, she was a fourteen, fifteen-year-old kid when she got her first hit. Sixteen, maybe when she had her first album. That that whole thing. She wrote her own music. Everybody was oh that my stopped. god. And whether you like it or you don't, I'm not. I'm not putting anything out there. She had rich parents who, you know, were able to do all this stuff for her and give up everything they had to. Everything and and rightfully so, they made the right investment. Hopefully, she's giving them something back. Um, they so the, the movement of her, she's going to age out, and nobody my age gives a crap about 
the new Taylor Swift. Yeah, well, yeah that's the thing. I like, don't care about the old Personally, kid. I don't think she's going to age out the way that, that everybody thinks she is. Because I think, I think she has more staying power than people realize. I don't think she's going to be a Madonna type. But she'll have a, a career doing a very specific set of music for a very specific set of people. And, and she, will, she will live yeah. very comfortably for the remainder of her life. Oh, yeah, she could. I'm not saying that she's not going to. She could easily. She could walk into any place in Vegas. Go. Yeah, and, the, and the, here, here's, here's a contract. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You, you sure? You here's sure you want here and not the place across the street? Like, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Right. The Bellagio says, "Yep. Okay, so yeah, get you're out." out. <laughs> Taylor's yeah. playing tonight. Um. Um. Yeah, and she says, "I want a million and a half a week, and I want this." They're gonna give it to her, but so she's got the she's got everything and she's got the chops. She's got. She's, I mean, I, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not disparaging like her her talent or ability or anything. I just no, think it's no. funny that the fans like they're literally saying Taylor is much better than this other band that they've never heard before, and I'm like, okay, well that's just it. This though. is this is exactly the problem we have. It, people that's are not being exposed funny. to things. Um, compartmentalization. So this that's is, the other the other whole like facet of this is I'm not so I'm not a big fan of um tools view on religion and things like that. And um uh well I don't even know what it is, so. against it. <laughs> um <laughs> you know, it's like you're either for or against it, they're against it. Um and uh, I kinda you know, like I I'm not a big fan of that, but like I can I can appreciate their music. But um I, it's vindication for me in a way. It's like, okay, so here's actual music with substance that people still are getting excited about because it is it is substance based music. Yeah, and I think that's what's important about the the um, the fact that they took the number one. It still spot matters. Is that they did get that one of the one of the things that people have to remember is when they're fans of something, regardless of who you who you're a fan of, and regardless of. Because so many people are used to getting their music through Spotify and and uh, all these you know Pandora and everything else, and spins are the things that create it. Instead of actually purchasing the song, uh, you purchase a song, it's like ten thousand yeah. spins versus having to get all these spins. Right? They call them spins, by the way, um, which I don't get. It's a stream. Well, I've heard it's called me, streams but too, but, okay. but anyway, yeah. <clears throat> so, um, because of that, that that numerical value that they give to streams versus versus um purchasing if those fans actually purchased her album or she'd have blown them out of the water and i think that the difference is a lot of the tool fans are going to purchase even if they just purchase the well, three version so technically if you album. have apple music and you do a download of the album it's not the same thing as purchasing it so i have a feeling they're both Yes, I have a feeling they're both. I I don't think. Well, well yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I have a, a feeling there's probably a lot more people just doing it on Apple Music for even for Tool. I think I think the industry has changed. There's no sold music anymore. Like CD sales are in the crapper, and that was one of the things that uh, the guy from uh, uh, Justin Hawkins from The Darkness was complaining about. Because he's like, you know, people will compare us with yeah. you know other contemporary bands. They say we're not popular. We didn't make a lot of money. Like we didn't have. Uh, all these platinum records, but he's like, you know what? He's like, we've outsold these guys and these guys and these guys and the big name bands. And he's like, the thing is we didn't do it through streaming. People actually bought the record. 
Like they bought the whole album. They bought right. a CD copy. And he's like, so even if we're only going gold, we're still making it just as much money as like Bon Jovi did on their last record, you know, or something like that. Because he's like, right, you don't get paid right. if you're if people are streaming the music. He's like, we'd much rather have people. It's like, if people want to stream it, fine. He's like, we would much rather have people buying our record than streaming it. And he's like, and that's been right. the case. So I think it's a really interesting paradigm. Yeah. Um, you're going to see some weird stuff because of these uh, shenanigans in the record industry right now. You're going to see bands like The Darkness who who have a lot of money, and you're going, how did they make that much money? Because people are actually buying the CD or they're buying a digital, you know, a digital they copy of the album rather than to yeah. to um, just download it for free on you know iTunes or whatever. That's why um, so yeah. many bands have been fighting having their music streamed. Tool fought it for years. They didn't want their music streamed on iTunes. Yep. They only did it because they wanted to stream the current record. And they were like, okay, so if we're going to have to do that, we'll have to let the other ones go too. Right. Yeah, right. open the library. Um, I mean, Led Zeppelin was late to the game. Right. Like, there's a bunch of bands that were like, we're not going to, we're not yep. going to go this way. ACDC was late to the game. But yep. it, they didn't want any digital copies whatsoever. Could not. I think the Beatles was one were a long haul. Yeah, so I, I have my reservations, but I think it's really good for the independent artist because you're going to get something like the tape trading thing doesn't happen anymore. You're going to get the stuff on iTunes, and you're going to tell your friend about it. And they're going to download it on iTunes. You know what I mean? Um, and I, I do believe like Metallica when they went around and and uh, hypocrited themselves, you know, about the whole piracy thing. Like they were kind of onto something in the sense that tape trading was bad for them too because they weren't getting paid for tape trading. And you can look at it as a promotional right. expense, sure. But I would argue that like this this makes sure that the artist gets paid. This is like this isn't as good, although I don't think the deal is as good. This is almost as good as being a part of ASCAP or right. BMI or whoever um who's gonna protect your rights. Right. Because you want that music, I'm gonna get a royalty check from from Apple and I know they're good for it. Um But but I will say this. See, spins no, are not, not paid equally. So, yeah. And that's got to do with your contract. And of course, that's got to do with your management. Well, well or, to an extent, else, so. like, they have a they have a flat rate. But once you get to a certain level, you can negotiate that rate. Um, but, like, for for example, like, I think with DistroKid, it's like, if you, if you have, like, 50 plays or something, you get, like, a penny. You know what I mean? Like, it's some low number like that. I got 34 cents last year. So, um but but the point yeah. but the point is that mm-hmm. I got thirty four cents. So at least I know I'm being compensated. You almost got if, a if I didn't have that and I was just giving the music away for free, I wouldn't get shit. Um so, you know, if right. God willing, I, I have uh, you know, I have a twenty dollar check come next year. Like I at least know that like, hey, yeah. people are listening to my music and I got twenty bucks for it. Right. At twenty bucks is a oh, lot yeah. of spins. Thirty eight cents was a lot of them. It is a lot of streams. Hey, you got Hey, we got a platform here. I'm gonna I'm gonna pimp my music so hard on this show. <laughs> right. Um we should we should do um a thing before we next next uh next week we should do it. We should. Uh before we bomb out of here. All right, we got before wrap we bomb up. out of here. Um yep. the Practical Guitarist podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. We still have pickups to give away, don't we, Jim? I know you got a set. I know Nick's got another set in the wings waiting. Uh Jim, Jim has a soldering iron now. It's going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Yep. It's going to happen this week. I actually have to – I'm going to go on yes. Facebook Live um, and do it so on Facebook Live. So, Tele Pickups, they're coming. They're so you coming. guys will watch me mess uh, it up. And, 
if you haven't talked to Nick, he's in our Facebook group. Uh, talk to him. If you're looking for pickups, just buy some. Like, do do the guy a favor. Spend a yeah. hundred bucks on him, and you'll get better pickups than what you're going to get if you bought from Seymour Duncan or Demarzio. Right? It's just going to happen. Uh, yep. Yep. And you're going to pay less money, money, and they're going to be hand wired. They may not be as worth as much if you were to pull them out, but let's face it, pickups don't really sell for that much when you resell them anyway. So take the hit and support our show, right? Because yeah. if you support Nick, yeah. um, he can support us, and then we can all support each other, right? Um, we have a bunch of ways That's to right. support the show too, like outside of uh, the Great Lakes Guitar Pickups brand and all that. Um, we, uh, You can find out about all of them in our Facebook group. Uh, sure, join our Facebook group. It's great. It's a wonderful group of people. They're all very supportive. Um, we we moderate the hell out of it, and uh, we try to keep it very positive. Um, there's also Patreon. We have a Patreon. Uh, we have a Threadless store and an Amazon affiliate link. And if you join our Facebook page, you can get information about all of those, but you can go to the Amazon affiliate link, and you can spend money on stuff that you want, and we get, like, pennies. It's great. Cause That's it, right. Cause it, we get a spin. And and you don't spend you don't pay one penny more. Dude, pay exactly the same fee as you would. I, I went into the account the other day and there was actually stuff purchased in there. And I was like, hey, we got like six bucks. Like this is awesome. Yeah. And we are paying for damn this. Yeah, day. dude, they, this is like this is the long road to, to, we might to be NAM, able to buy one beer. This is the NAM. long road to NAM twenty twenty one. So it. we're yep. starting and that's what we're trying to do. That's the long yeah, run. Yeah, so we're starting now. Um, and, of course, all the money goes back into the show. We don't – Jim and I don't pay ourselves a salary or anything. <laughs> Can you imagine having enough money to pay a salary? Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't pay ourselves yeah. a salary or anything like that. We just uh, – we use the money to put right it back on. into the show. So Yeah, we're, we're negative yeah, money I mean, every Jim, month. Jim spends no. – uh, what's your hosting bills like 30 bucks a month or something? And then I'm yeah, spending yeah, 20 yeah. bucks a month on the uh, the actual service we use to record the podcast. Um, yep. And so, like, we have all the equipment laying around, but if we just put that money into the into yeah, the, I mean, like, dude, think about it. It's like we're, we're fifty dollars <laughs> negative every month. Like, it's pretty crazy. Um, we do have we do have you know fifteen bucks a month coming in from Patreon and stuff like that. But um, join our Patreon if you like the show. Uh, by all means, get in on it. Yeah. Um, I do have. I did want to announce one thing that did happen, and I don't know that all of our uh, Patreon subscribers are interested or want to get involved but we do have a um what do you call it a discord channel though uh and if you'd like details and you are a member of our patreon i'm also going to post them in the patreon page um for for people who are contributing but the discord group you join it and if i'm on like i'll you can send me a message and i'll jump on there and i will actually talk to you with my mouth and it'll be great um, and then you'll probably want to slap me and hate me yeah. for the rest of your life. So it'd be wonderful. Yeah. Um, but these are the kind of things we want to provide to our listeners. We, we're trying to grow a community for everybody uh, of positive minded, like practical guitar players who are solving the problems that they're facing in playing in their local communities. So, uh, All right. uh yeah, I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we were practical guitarists. Yes, we were. Who are also sad. Yes. Good night.